what's up what's happening everybody thank you for listening back in to the uh, hitters only podcast i'm real excited had a great podcast uh with mr stevie smith a buddy of mine known him for a while and uh, we talked for a long time uh probably three hours or more but i edited it down to about two and a half to give you guys all the good stuff we were rambling having a good time in here and so glad that he was uh able to come on and share his uh, baseball life about playing, coaching, and um, winning a national championship, playing in college, and all the above, and all the ins and outs and struggles of being a, a coach of kids today. And it was a great time when he talked um, about his battle and fight with cancer and him coming out on the other side of that, and a really good guy, and was was really thankful that he came in and wanted to be on hitters only so that was awesome and i appreciate him coming in here uh just real quick um stevie told me that he wanted to have hitters on his episode and uh we did go through them and um on the episode i had to edit it out because of course i started playing music on here and all that and i'm not really supposed to do that so anyways i'll go through them now so the hitters are the of today and i found these mid podcasts so they are what they are um, number one is electric fill by mgmt let's crank that's a good little jam number two we got good time by nico moon and the third song is i asked stevie what his favorite song of all time is And he said, I'm a Traveler by Chris Stapleton is one of his favorite songs of all time. So those are the hitters, Electric Feel, Good Time, and I'm a Traveler. So y'all crank those, jam them out. Um, And real quick, uh, we talked, you know, a lot about uh, his struggles with cancer and, and fighting and, you know, doing things that are hard and coming out on the other side of it. So um, I said something about grit in the podcast, and I said that I was going to kind of uh, structure my quote around grit, and I found this little quote that I liked, and it's, success seems to be largely a matter of hanging on after others have already let go. So hang on, keep going, keep fighting, don't give up, Uh, don't know what it's like to give up, never done it, so keep keep hammering keep doing it and uh yeah i hope you guys enjoy this podcast with uh mr stevie smith all right thank y'all everybody and you get one of those you're the first guest to get a hitters only dog tag i'm gonna start giving all, <laughs> all my guest hitters only dog tags dude i was i want to put it on now hold on oh dude i'm curious to see if your head oh no We'll think put it it's on gonna later. <laughs> put it on later. Yeah. It was like when I was putting these uh, headphones on. It was like. <laughs> I think this is the, your right side. You got it, dude. You're a professional, man. Uh. Seems like you've done this a bunch of times. <clears throat> but anyways, man, let's get uh, freaking hyped up in here. Cheers, dude. Cheers. Anyways, man, welcome to the Hitters Only Podcast. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah, dude. You're an honored guest. You've been on the list for a while now. I have a, I have like a whole um, 
like hitters only section on my phone. And when I first started this, I went, I made like a bunch of people that I like eventually want to have on. And you made the list, dude. So you should be honored. So, but yeah, man, I just wanted to bring you in here. You've done a couple of interesting things so far, and you, a uh, big baseball guy, um, doing coaching now, but um, won a national championship with Cumberland, correct? That's right. What year was that? That was 2014. 2014. So, pretty much just to take us back from the beginning, um, you where'd you go to middle school around here? Central. Central. Before it was magnet. No way, dude. You're basically a gangster. in the trench. Yeah, that's. Awesome. I was in the trenches. Dude, we have an old guy that works with us that used to be the football coach for them, like back in the day. And man, I'm like, I miss, I miss when Central was like a legit, like public middle school. It was way better. It was way better. I mean, and the it, magnet school thing's cool, but yeah, and I still haven't given the magnet school its respect, the respect it deserves, because like, no, no. I mean, I've for somebody to be as smart as smart as you have to be to go to Central. And to think back and note, like, remember the trash cans in the hallway when it was raining, catching all the rain. <laughs> it's bro, like, bro. I don't know about that, but I mean, you want to talk about going from one spectrum to the other? <laughs> that mug went from like a, well, let's just say it was uh, the it was the middle school that was good at all the sports. We'll just call it that. But then they went to a freaking basically a private school. Yeah, I bet they fixed the roof now. But yeah, it's it's probably a pretty good place to be now. Mm -hmm. But I still can't get that out of my mind. Yeah, that's funny, man. I bet y'all had some sick dance parties there back in the day, <laughs> dude. We did some little middle school raves. I never, I, I, don't, I guess I never really asked you where you went to middle school. That's funny, but that makes sense that you went to Oakland because back then, if you went to Central Middle, you probably were going to go to Oakland. Yeah, and that's a interesting story itself because. Around that time, not to dig too deep, but my that was when mm. my parents had fresh fresh out of their divorce. My mom, the house that she bought, was pretty much based off of where I wanted to go to high school. Nice. And we she bought a house that was owned Oakland because at that time Oakland was kind of a powerhouse, I guess, and that would have been mm -hmm. 2006, 2007. Mm -hmm. They were like ranked second in the nation in baseball in baseball okay and i their, was their like, football team back then was cold or riverdale's was cold riverdale's was cold yeah Oakland was not as good my sister then. went to seagull okay and so because where where we lived before they got divorced she went on continued at seagull mm -hmm. but she would drop me off on her way <laughs> nice. me because i was like i want to play baseball yeah at yeah. oakland yeah i begged my parents to go to riverdale but it didn't happen but Okay, so you got to Oakland, um, pretty much sped through freshman year. I'm sure they had like what a freshman team or whatever, and then they had a JV team. Yeah. yeah. So did you pretty much pitch from like minor, like not minor leagues, but uh, little leagues? You know, up until or when did you start like kind of mold into like a full time pitcher? Full time pitcher was um, my freshman year at Oakland. That okay. was whenever I put the bat up, put the bat in the bat bag, and I never pulled it out again. Really? Then I was I was young for our class, so I was fourteen. Oh wow! Okay. So yeah, I was fourteen, thirteen, pretty much going into that freshman year, and I finished our freshman year as a fourteen-year-old. 
So, and that was... Wow, okay, that's pretty wild. Dude, I had my license driving a truck when I was a freshman. <laughs> you <laughs> not did. me. Dang, I was dude. I was barely making it through puberty. Yeah, dude, that is young. It <laughs> was. I wish I would have been held back sometimes <clears throat> thinking about it. But. Yeah, everybody, everybody always asks me like I'm dumb or something. Like, oh, you got held back? I'm like, no. I have my birthday falls at a weird time. And uh, I didn't start kindergarten until I was like six or something like that. But, yeah, I never failed a grade for all y'all <laughs> haters out there. And some people will be like, yeah, that's getting held back. I'm like, if you don't ever start something, you can't be held back from it. You know what I mean? <laughs> that, that's right. <laughs> from kindergarten on, I proceeded to the next grade. So screw you. You know what's kind of sad about that is there are people now holding their kids back on purpose so they can yeah. excel in sports. That's so dumb, man. I don't get it. Well, if you either got it or you don't. Yeah. Yeah, so you're either going to be good enough to where that doesn't even matter Basically, if you're holding your kid back to be better at a sport, he's not going to be good enough anyways. That's how I feel. I feel the same way I about mean, that. Yeah. Anyway, so you guys, uh, uh, I don't know how y'all's high school team was, but you pitched in high school. Our, um, we made it to state our okay. freshman year. And um, I played two games JV from then on. Mm. I was kind of the young buck riding with the big dogs. Yeah. And our, um, we made it to the state that year. Our last game of the year, while we're in the state tournament, I pitched that game. I started that game. It was the first game I had started on varsity the whole year. Oh, wow. So you pitched on varsity freshman year. Yeah. So Coach Hawks gets the – who's still the coach at Oakland, he gets the kahunas to make the call. He's going to give the ball to the freshman. Ooh, that's a kahuna call. <laughs> yeah. And, and you don't you don't know – well, it was like that at Oakland. You didn't know till like – an hour before game time, who was getting the ball. You'd be in the outfield stretching. Mm-hmm. And everybody's stretching. You're waiting. Pitching coach would come out, and he would throw a baseball at whoever was – pretty much he would throw it from the dugout to the left field. Yeah. And that's – whoever he made it to, that's pretty much who the ball was going to. And, and it rolled to me, and I was an absolute nervous wreck. Uh, but at the same time, I didn't – I was just pitching at that age. That was probably the last age. 14 was probably the time where I was, like, not thinking too much about it. I yeah. wasn't a stat rat. Didn't care about stats. I was just up there pitching. Mm-hmm. Lucky me, I got to pitch against a guy named Daniel Norris, who's still in the big leagues right now. Oh, wow. For Science Hill. Science Hill up in Johnson City, yeah. So, you know, I was, I was pretty cocky as a pitcher. You know, I had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. I mean, it's just sports. It kind of—I th- I feel like it came with competitiveness and sports. Yeah. And yeah. So I got up, and you know, I'm the freshman. I felt like I was the big dog. Well, this guy, Daniel Norris, was a freshman. <laughs> so oh, really? I, yeah. So he got up. I can't remember uh, who was the home team first, but I remember him coming onto the mound, and where I was like mid to upper 80s, this guy's throwing in the 90s. Mm. I was like, okay, I'm. Kind of crawled back in my cage. I'm not the big dog. Okay, I, I was gonna ask. So you were you were like mid 80s or 80, 85 or? Uh, I was like 85, 87. Okay. At that age, that's pretty good. But I I got stuck there. Had you even really lifted a lot of weights at this point? No, I uh, still am a baby fat. Yeah. That's what Jesse will tell you. I still. <laughs> just. I just had a baby had a face and voice. had a crack in my voice. <laughs> I mean, I was 14. I was just kind of, I don't know. Wow, I'm going to say I grew before everybody else because I wasn't bigger in size. It's just yeah. some things Yeah. at that time were, were rolling. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. So, 
Okay, and then probably kind of after – did you do decent in that, that game? Or? We did well in that game. We actually ended up losing like three to two. Mm-hmm. Um, it, was, it was a close game. I, I pitched well, and, I, and then for as long as I could go and then handed it over to a, another guy on the team. But, mm-hmm. but we got beaten. Yeah. And it felt tough, especially as a four, I mean, as a freshman, but again I was fourteen, so like some of these guys, that was the last baseball game that they ever played. Okay. I was like I felt so responsible for that because Yeah. Man, dressing out as a freshman for any varsity sports a pretty big deal. It feels like a huge deal. My freshman year I got to dress out like the last couple of games for the football team and got to go in and like run a couple of plays. And that was like, dude, I freaking made it. <laughs> it feels that way. Yeah. It feels like everybody's looking at you. Yeah, like, dang, dude, you're fixing to be cold, dude, if you're already <laughs> out there now. And I ended up starting my sophomore year. But anyways, um, yeah, dude, that's sick. So basically from there, you were pretty much one of the main guys going through the rest of high school. So, so Well, not to pause where you're headed with that, but no, I ahead. only pitched – I had that freshman year, I had sophomore year, and then my second game into junior year is when I tore my UCL and had to have Tommy John surgery. Uh, Okay, so you had that. And that, I got to pitch my senior year a little bit, but it was more almost like a rehab assignment. Really? And there wasn't, yeah, I mean, I was pitching like, my first game back was a JV game at Smyrna. Oh, God. Which, Smyrna baseball at that time, I mean. Yeah. They didn't know. They didn't even know positions on the field, really, of where they needed to play. A JV game at Smyrna, that just sounds so bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've, been, I've, been, I've never played in a JV game, but, dude, Smyrna's facilities, wow. That was tough, too, for me to kind of soak in that I was I only played two games mm-hmm. as a freshman, and then now I'm a senior pitching against JV. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of a – Wow. Humble. It was kind of humbling, I, I guess. I feel but. like I remember that happening, but I couldn't – I remember that you had told me that before. So, did Vol State pick you up, or did you kind of hit them up, or how did that work? Didn't you go to Vol State for a little while? Yeah, I went to Vol State for two years, and it was good for me in a sense that it was almost like continuing to rehab because my arm still hadn't fully healed. I didn't give it a chance to heal. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember – me and a couple teammates went and did a visit with Coach Crossland at that time, who was the coach there. And to be honest, he got us so fired up when mm-hmm. we were in the locker room. And who who gets fired up at Ball State? <laughs> like, who's yeah. going to be like, yeah, I'm going to Ball State when I grow up? Yeah. Uh, but he got us so fired up and to keep it clean on, on mm-hmm. the podcast. But some of the things you were saying is like – You can say whatever you want. Man. We left, and um, my buddy called me. Uh, Wesley Monaghan. Mm-hmm. Wes calls me. He's like, I'm going to Ball State. And I was <laughs> like, I don't know. It's like, I'm fired up too. But I was like, I just want to weigh my options, see whatever else. Because at that time, we didn't have much. Yeah. I mean, I was, I had just come out of an injury. I wasn't throwing very hard. I wasn't like, who's interested in but me? But you wanted to play college um, baseball? I wanted to co- play college baseball. Yeah. And uh, just the, um, the, the visit with Coach Crossland was like, yeah, I'm in. I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. Now, to backtrack a little bit, my my ju- before I got hurt my junior year, I had a little bit of interest from MTSU, Lipscomb, Belmont. Nice. I actually went on a visit to Lipscomb, and that's a really. I showed up to the visit at Lipscomb with a teammate, Griffin Moore, and he was a big right-handed pitcher. I was a right-handed pitcher. 
their pit, we meet with their pitching coach, and the whole time he thinks I'm a lefty. No way. And I was praying to God, please do not make me throw a baseball. <laughs> oh, so you were going to let it ride. I was, I was going to follow through with it. First day like, of practice, you are like, what are you talking about? We went through the whole <laughs> visit. <laughs> it's like the whole visit, the whole time he's going over like, like just – Everything that he teaches, how he coaches, mm. I get to meet players. We go into the weight room. They're lifting weights. Mm. They're throwing bullpens. They're hitting batting practice. They're doing everything. We're in there, and we go to the office. He keeps referencing me as, like, this crafty left-hander. And I, golly, man, I was, like, fighting for my life not to laugh. And I'll never. And he just kept talking about, Stevie, you being a little lefty, Griffin, you being a big righty. And I was like, ah. Griffin's like, Hitting my foot while like, the guy's talking dude, to us. You gotta tell him, bro. We and I, my pride, I just couldn't do it because it was so awkward. And yeah, we got in the elevator to leave Lipscomb, and I was screaming, laughing. No I was like, way. well, that's never gonna happen. <laughs> and that was far beyond me even uh, my arm uh, or uh, my UCL tearing. Yeah, um, but that, that's pretty cool though. Like, I never. Um, I went on like kind of one football visit to um, UTC Chattanooga, but I think it's cool. Uh, like some of my friends went, got to go to schools and do like official visits and stuff like that. I think that's a cool experience to have. It is a cool experience. It'd yeah. be a lot cooler than these days. Yeah, I, like no, what they get to experience. Yeah, you get to get paid now. <laughs> now you can walk in there like, so what's uh, what's the money like? Like, how much are y'all gonna, how much are y'all gonna pay me? <laughs> yeah, it'd be a lot cooler to go now. Yeah, but for sure, but that's cool, man. So you just went to Lipscomb for a, a visit, and then Ball State, maybe. Right. That yeah. that was pretty much it for visits. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a little interest, and when I say interest, it's basically them coming to watch me and just having a little bit of communication back and forth with the coaches and pitching coaches and stuff. But yeah, yeah. How were them grades? Grades were actually good. Really? How? I don't know. Whew. Because I didn't, there was no focus on grades, yeah. which is sad to say. That's what got me. I had a better GPA in college than I did in high school. Insane. I yeah. did. I did as well. And I think I, that was because I had to start paying for some books and paying for school. Yeah. And it was like, if I'm paying for it, I'm a Take this a little bit more serious. More responsibility. So, so Vol State is essentially a community college, correct? It is. Um, where is that exactly? Gallatin. Again? Gallatin, that's right. Man, I remember that's kind of when me and you started kind of hanging out. Yeah. Uh, through our wives, or then girlfriends, but, and I remember, <laughs> I remember you would always just like kind of tell me, like, man, it's not that serious. The other day, I did wind sprints in like my like house shoes or something. <laughs> Dude, like I had shin splints for months from yeah. sprinting in my sinucks. Or yeah. like they're like hey dudes. Yeah, and you're like, yeah, I mean, it's not that serious. We just kind of you know do a little working out, play play a couple games. Like it's not that whatever. That's what we always joke and say our uh, base or our drinking team had a baseball problem. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> that's what it was and. Yeah. It was a very talented group of guys. Uh, I mean, there were guys from all over. I mean, we had two or three guys from Vanderbilt that just lost it to Vanderbilt or their grades didn't make it, and they came there. Oh, wow. And that's what pretty much the whole team, like, consisted of was just yeah. guys that mm-hmm. didn't make it at Division One schools, and yeah, they came there as 
a reload. Just to give them, yeah, a reload and try to give them another chance to get in yeah. somewhere else. Man, a lot of times that's why these community colleges end up being, like, pretty good. Um, like, Last Chance You, that documentary on Netflix and, like, some of, the, some of those others. Like, these teams get packed with, like, <clears throat> D1 athletes just because – they got in trouble or their grades fell off and they had to basically go back for like a year or two just to like get back on track and then, then go back to a bigger school. So essentially that's what you did. So how did you, how did you hook up with uh, Cumberland through, through Vol State? Cumberland, I was really at, once I got to MTSU, I was hoping on, or sorry, once I got to, uh, Vol State, I was hoping on MTSU mm. and, uh, it got to the point where, you know, I was backing out of offers. I had a lot of small offers, similar NAIs, Division twos, no Division ones, and I was just waiting on it. MTSU, and I wasn't performing like I should be playing at MTSU. I just, I was in well, I was in good communication. I had communication communication with the coach, and mm-hmm. I was just, I, don't, I was almost expecting it. Yeah. And then it got to the point where it was a preferred, we'll say preferred walk on. Yeah. And um, it just didn't sound promising. I didn't. It didn't really sound like I was going to be pitching much. And again, I wasn't pitching well whenever I was at Ball State. So, Coach Hunt, we actually Cumberland being an NAIA, they played. Um, it it didn't count towards their record, but like during the fall, they would play JUCO teams. Okay. And that was like a form of recruiting. Mm. And we went to. Um, when we were at Ball State, we went to Cumberland and played like a 12-inning game or something like that, or 14-inning game. We kind of we took a small break, and um, when we went and played Cumberland, we had like a perf- our pitchers. We had a perfect game going through like 10 innings. Oh wow! That next day, Coach Hunt called our whole pitching staff and offered everybody a spot. Uh, no way. The co- when I say whole, I say like that. We're in the main rotation. It was yeah, like yeah, yeah. six or seven of yeah. us. So. Everybody, so the Cumberland coach, Hunt. Coach Hunt, yeah. Okay, he he called up Ball State and was <laughs> yeah. like, I'd like to take all the pitchers, please. He he pretty much did that. And um, and I said, whenever I talked to Coach Hunt, I initially said no. He called again like a month later, and I said no because I was waiting on MTSU. I was, mm-hmm. for some, like I said, for some reason I was expecting it, and it didn't happen. And um, – Finally, I talked to one of my old pitching coaches, or my pitching coach from high school, actually, and he actually went to Cumberland. And I told him, and I was like, hey, I don't know if I burned the bridge with Cumberland. I don't have anywhere to go. I still want to play. Yeah. Um, Sorry. It's fine. We got a, we got a tiger attack on the, on the podcast <laughs> tiger table. Attack. We have a real tiger attack. That's funny. Ralph the cat has joined the pod. So just ignore him and swat him off if he comes back over there. But um, I pretty much had to call him up, and it's like, hey, I, have, I hope I haven't burned that bridge. Can you just pick his brain a little bit? He was, yeah. in, he's on good terms with them, and mm-hmm. see if if there's an, if they're still looking for anybody, or whatever else. And the next day, Coach Hunt called me and to schedule him for a visit. Really? And that was on like a Monday. I think that Wednesday I went to a visit, and man, when I got there, there's two buildings that you have classes in. I've never been there. It's it's like smaller than a high school. It felt. Yeah. They had like fifteen hundred students or something. Mm-hmm. And um, you go to the baseball field, and the baseball field is like way nicer than anything else in that whole university. Dude. And I'm like walking around, I'm like, okay. 
Yeah. I could see myself playing here just like, looking at the seems facilities. Seems like the baseball team's got some money or something. <laughs> it seems out. <laughs> got a good well, booster. <laughs> and they do. They've got some great boosters, really? which bring that up later when we get into Cumberland because there's some funny stories on that. Um, but, like, looking at the facilities and whatever, it's co- the, the locker room. Like, I was like, man, this is really not- – I wasn't expecting that. Mm-hmm. And I go back there and I talk to Coach Hunt, and I don't know if you've ever seen him or, kn- or know what he looks like. But I he's, don't think so. Man, he's probably – 75 years old now. Oh, wow. Okay, so old fella. Maybe older. And so he feels like he talking to him is like too. a grandpa. It's almost like a grandpa. Jesse always said he was like an adopted granddad, even though he hated <laughs> girlfriends. And just talking to him, I was like, that's where I want to be. Yeah. That is exactly where I want to be. And mm-hmm. it didn't take long for me to make the decision. And like, hey. Nice. And then I said, yeah, I'm in. And then he laid the cost on me. And thank God that I took grades serious because school paid for most of it. Really? And luckily he covered what school didn't cover. Oh, nice. They didn't really do full scholarships, but. Yeah. So you essentially got to, you got your school paid for pretty much? I did. Nice, dude. And whenever I went on to get my master's, he actually, that was his idea. Really? Yeah. I, I had a little bit of interest in it. And why I don't know, probably because I was like, "Well, I'm done with school. I don't know what I want to do. Yeah, I don't want to go hydroblast for a living." But, <laughs> bro, yeah, <laughs> he, uh, he said if you want to continue on your education and get your master's degree from Cumberland, he's like, "I'll give you money to pursue that." And I'm not even playing baseball anymore, and I was like, "Really? This opportunity is never going to happen." Yeah. How does that work? I don't know. Never even asked. Yeah, I, I feel like if I asked, I might lose yeah. that opportunity. Dude, that's awesome. So I was going to ask you about that because I wasn't sure about the the scholarship situation within Cumberland's program. But um, that's great, man, because uh, my rule um, with football when I was trying to play college or I don't know about trying, but accepting the idea of, of wanting to – one of my rules was, like, I'm not playing for free anymore. Right. So somebody's going to have to pay for something or something like that, you know. So that's that's awesome that um, you got your education paid for and your master's paid for. That's – man, I wish so well, bad. To, it, not not all of my master's paid for. I got yeah, a, but a good amount of money a lot of to help. where yeah. it made sense for me to, to to say yes to that. That's good, man. Doing the master's thing – a lot of people will tell you, like, man, if you're going to get your master's, just as soon as you get your bachelor's, just go get your master's. Because if you say, oh, I'm going to go back in a couple of years, you're never going to go back. You're not going to go back. You're not going to go back. I, The day I graduated, I said I would never step into another school <laughs> building ever again. I was 100% done, and I still feel like that. So I will never further my education in anything but something that I want to. But... <clears throat> yeah, dude, that's that's awesome. So, the first year, you so you pitched for two years yes. in the pitching rotation. So I, did, I had the two years at um, Ball State, and then finished two, the two years at two Cumberland. years at Cumberland. Yeah. So, um, you were in a rotation of like what? What's what's a pitching lineup like? Because I don't really know, like on a college team, how many pitchers there even would be. So you've got conference games on the weekends, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Okay. That's your big dogs. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you've got your bullpen, whoever your guys are in the bullpen. And that's – it's really who's just performing well at that time coming out of the bullpen because the bullpen will pitch yeah. 
I mean, they'll pitch any every day of the week if they can, depending on what role they're on in the bullpen, whether yeah. they're a setup guy or a closer. I actually, I came to Cumberland as a closer from Ball State. Really? So I was just waiting. I was waiting till the ninth inning till I come in and just. Isn't the closer kind of like an honorable position? I thought that was more of like you're the savage on the team because they put you in to like shut the game down. That's what it is, and uh, I'd like to like think that I was Mr. that Ken- savage. Well, always. What was that? What was that freaking savage do back in the day for the Braves? John Rocker, bro. Is that who you're thinking about? If John Rocker came in the game, <laughs> it was over. It's dude. a wrap. It's a wrap, dog. It's a strikeout every time until the game's over. So, like watching because I was a uh, you know a lot of people in Tennessee are Braves fans, and so when I was a kid. Um, I don't. I don't. Follow, I'm not going to pretend like I follow baseball big time. But when I was a kid, my neighbors were real, blah blah blah. They were big into the Braves, so I would pay a lot of attention to it. And boy, when John Rocker came in that mug, dude, you knew it was over. Dude, dude he was mean. Yeah, and the closers were always like, um, just. It seemed like, all right, that's like the real pitcher, but like we don't put him in until like it's important. You put him in if it's pretty much a close game yeah. but you're ahead and you need you if you're up need, one yeah. run two runs three maybe four Heck you yeah. bring them in to seal the deal yeah and i liked that because a lot of pressure it's a lot of pressure but like coming from the bullpen and you hear big smoke fire up oh yeah dude kicking in in tennessee <laughs> it's like that was my that was my walkout song as a pitcher and i'm running from the outfield just jogging and, and Dang, I got you, you got that certain point in the song where you wait for the guitar to kick or whatever. You just on. start, dude. You just start beating it to the mound, dude. When the gate opens, you should just be on the back side of it, just like, <laughs> and you just boom. Yeah. Like I feel like I feel like. Uh, so you got to run from the outfield to the infield. Yes. Hell yeah, dude. Dude, I and feel, there's adrenaline oh, pumping. God, and I'm talking about. So you That's got a, um, you've got phones in the dugout. Mm-hmm. But we never used the phone except one time. So you get the ringer. Middle of the game, we called a pizza. Uh-huh. Well, in game, we called. We order. We try to order a pizza to get it <laughs> delivered was, to the bullpen. Coach Hunt was pissed about this that. This was Coach Hunt. This was Vol State. Oh, okay. <laughs> Coach Hunt, if you listen, I'm sorry. Like <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> he he probably wouldn't be surprised with me. But man, like you got to. Um, like at Vol State, I was a closer at Vol State. Okay. Um, because, like I said, that that was like a rehab assignment almost, mm-hmm. and I hadn't, I still hadn't built up that stamina to last like more than a couple innings. Yeah. But I could pitch, I could go out for one inning, and just you just absolutely max out for one inning, you're done. Yeah. And I was like, this is awesome. Yeah. But it's like that time of the game, he come out, my my sign from the bullpen was finger guns. So I know if Coach Crossland came out and he's shooting finger guns down the bullpen, it's time for me to warm up. Nice. You warm up, you tip your cap, you throw your cap at them to let them know that you're ready. Yeah. When you're ready, it's time to go in. Okay. And it's like and then when the, you're coming in. And he gives the finger guns to the box up there and they play big smoke. <laughs> Kick it in Tennessee. Rolling on that back road, blowing pie. And I'm like, I don't know why they just got me just gassed up. It's like, Dude. I feel like uh, uh, Big Smo. We're finna we're finna light this up right here. What was what was the song? Kicking it in Tennessee. All right, dude. Big Smo is a 
somebody if you ain't if you ain't from around here, son, you probably don't know who Big Smo is. But there's, pro- there's a small chance that you do. Yeah, Big Smo, dude. So this is you warming up, coming out. This you? That's me. <laughs> I'm coming in from the bullpen. But I, but no, I um like you're still warming up. So you're still warming up when the song's playing. Yeah. I'll let it get to like that main guitar. Like there's a certain point in the song where I'm like I want it to hit whenever I'm coming from the bullpen. Yeah. So you had to give him like the you have to give him the uh, you basically gave him the freaking numbers on the song like. Oh, chicken hunting. <laughs> Dude, I'm just reading through the lyrics on this song. And that is... We all call it home. Well, here it goes. <laughs> and on that back, this is when I'm coming out of the bullpen. <laughs> oh, my God. That's what's up, dude. <laughs> yeah. Rolling on them back roads, uh, blowing pine, <laughs> sipping on that moonshine all the time, baby. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> How about that? <laughs> That's sick, dude. I didn't know that. Uh, I didn't know that people got the honor of having walkout songs in college. You know, in, in high school, everybody like had some like freaking Little John song or something crap like that. But we now th- this was false. We didn't get it at Cumberland. Cumberland okay. is, they had music yeah, playing, yeah, 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 but Damn. Coach Hunt is like, he was very, very old school. Yeah, Like, yeah. so, like, clean, shaven face. I don't know if you yeah. remember that. Like, yeah, me walking around with a baby face is not. Yeah. Well, it sounded like Vol State was probably a lot of fun, dude. Yeah. I feel it like was. you. I feel like you should have been able to wear, like, a cape or something, you <laughs> know, because that's a long run. You might need something, you know, I don't know, get. Get that crowd hyped up. What did the crowd look like it there? It was composed of all of our other sports teams and the girlfriends. Nice. All right. Maybe some parents. Maybe yeah, some parents. Maybe a, maybe a local grandma. And uh, you know, you you've got girlfriends in one section, and then you got the guys side piece like on the other side of the bleachers. Yeah. Or watching from the visitor section. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're eyeing each other like, mm-hmm, we know what's going on here. <laughs> Man, well, that's good. That's good that you got to basically go to a, like a super, you know, laid back, more laid back program to get fired up. So when you were at Cumberland, though, were you the closer there or just in the rotation? I started out as a closer. Okay. And then about halfway through the season, um, my first start, I don't remember why, but um, that that first year at Cumberland was the year we won the World Series, and there just I wasn't getting many innings. There really there weren't many opportunities that like presented themselves for me to come in and close a game. Mm. And so um, they rolled me out on a Wednesday uh, for a start. And Wednesdays like a Wednesday starters, they're 
you know, they're they're good. Aren't they're going to give you a chance to win? But they're not they're not your big dogs. Mm. And I hadn't started a game since high school, and they rolled it out and against Embry Riddle, which is I think relatively close to Daytona. They're from Florida, and uh, I threw a complete game nine innings through a shutout. Oh wow! And then once and that was like I said, that was middle middle maybe almost close to the back end of the season. And from then on, it was like. Yeah, I, I went straight into a starter role. Yeah, okay. How fast were you uh, throwing back then? College, eighty nine, ninety one. I'd top out ninety two, an occasional ninety three, but eighty nine, ninety one. Were you the fastest, or did y'all have a heater? Team. I think I was probably our hardest throw at that point. We had a Dominican that came I mean, in that was throwing mid nineties. Yeah. Um. But he didn't – his grades didn't make, and he didn't even get to travel the season. So, we never even had that guy. Oh, wow. Um, I mean, yeah, when, but, I but mean sh- when you're looking at – but when you're looking at college baseball, even the ML um, – even the pros, big leagues, I mean, isn't around 90 basically the average, 87 it's, to it's 90? That, yeah. That's a lot of guys I, are I mean, throwing I, you, there. You just see it on TV. Like, and it's always, like, anywhere from – Depending on what they're throwing, but like an eighty-seven to like ninety-two is pretty common. I feel it's like. very common. Yeah, it's very common, and that's yeah. And it's fun because you really learn how to pitch then, because it doesn't matter about in high school. If you're throwing that in high school, you're, oh, I you're mean, you're savage. Yeah, you're a savage. Yeah, that's but when you get in college and everybody's doing it, you really that's when you really start I guess, yeah. to learn how to pitch and yeah. Did you have like a go-to pitch? You know, I mean, change up, change up. Okay. We call it pulling the string. I love pulling the string on the changeup. And it was crazy because I never had one before my UCL surgery. I couldn't throw – I didn't like the idea of throwing a changeup because it's – in simple terms, there's a slow fastball. Well, take me – I was going to say, take everybody through, like, what a changeup actually is because I feel like a lot of people hear that, but they don't know what that actually means. I mean, means. that is really it. I mean, it's a – it's more or less a – a fake slower out. fastball, but your grip. So you basically your your fastball, whether it be a four seam or a two seam, you're going to have your middle finger and your pointer finger mm-hmm. on top of the ball. And your changeup, your pointer finger is pretty much coming off that ball, and you're leaving it to your ring finger, middle finger, or even your pinky okay. to where you get that ball. Because so pitching, you throw with three fingers. Or two. You you throw with three. You got your fastball, which would be three fingers, because you got your two on top, one on bottom. Your changeup okay. can be two. It could be three. Yeah. Whatever. Everybody's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's more or less your your arm your arm speed. How hard you're throwing it, how hard you're moving, how fast your arm is moving. It everything's the same. So that's what it what makes it deceiving to hitters is that. Yeah. Everything's the same, but your grip is calling that pit is causing that pitch to kind of slow down, so they can't. It's okay. tough when you're seeing it come in. You only got like a split second to make a decision if you're going to swing the bat or not. Yeah, bro. So it's tough in that. And that you're talking to a guy. I played for the Cubs in City League. <laughs> Shout I out was, to the Cubs. Yeah, baby. Um, <laughs> 98. Yeah, we were cold, but um, I struck out every time I was at bat the whole entire season. Really? Yeah, that was the last time I ever played baseball. And I realized contact sports were probably a better idea for me. But, yeah, man, that's wild, dude. <clears throat> 
so who like who taught you how to throw like who taught you how to throw like that is it just a progression through high school taught w- which part i mean how do you teach somebody to throw like a curveball or like a change up or anything Man, like that so i whenever nine you hit a little bit before nine you my dad built a wooden mound and put it in our backyard Okay. We had like this little narrow spot behind the garage, just mm-hmm. long enough, just wide enough. And that's where I pretty much learned how to pitch. And we started off with fastball. And my dad didn't play baseball. Mm-hmm. He played basketball for a little time whenever he was younger, but he was r- more into racing than anything. How he came up with this, I have no clue. Yeah. Especially since the internet wasn't really <laughs> yeah. around then. And he made me learn fastball first and um, – it's funny because we joked about it for years, and I even had this stitch on my glove um, that I still have to this day. And he would always say, the inside is your peanut butter, the outside your jelly. Nice. And I, it made me so mad when I was a kid hearing it because I was like, it didn't make, that don't make no sense. Inside peanut butter, outside <laughs> jelly. Yeah. And, and so a he rap was, song right there. <laughs> I think it might actually be. No, it is. Mm-hmm. Seven days of the week. Yeah. Seven different Chevys. Yeah, seven days of the week, seven different Chevys. Yeah, I, I knew you were trying to say something there. He knew that, he knew that before he it knew even that. dropped. Dude. <laughs> yeah. That's sick. And that's – and we joked about that. It became kind of a like a, just an inside joke between the two of us for the longest. But yeah. once I learned that, then he started – I don't even know how. Mm-hmm. He, he knew how to throw a, cur- throw a curveball, or maybe he asked somebody because he had some friends that played. And, yeah. and I learned in the backyard, man, he would sit on this little tyke's chair about the size of a bucket, mm-hmm. and he would make me pitch to him. And really? at mo- most days, I would hate it. Like, like I'm playing basketball in the yard or yeah. football or whatever else, and he'd go grab the glove, and everybody in the backyard, if you're in the backyard and you're going to hang around, you gotta you got to work on baseball right now. Really? Yeah. That's because good, I had man. to work on it, so if you wanted to stay around – yeah. Like, you've got to grab a glove. We had extra gloves. And, yeah. and that's how I really started to work on it. And then, Man, maybe, honestly, he just thought, and I, I, I don't know, I'm just com- doing complete guesswork right now. But maybe, you know, racing is like a whole nother thing. And it's expensive. It's you got to have a ton of money to ever make it big. And maybe he was like, he saw you and he's like, man, he's tall. He's athletic. Screw it. Let's build a pitching mound in the backyard. <laughs> yeah, that's probably <laughs> he's the wrong happened. color to play basketball. <laughs> you know, I think baseball is really the good idea here. And maybe you just built a pitching mound, man. That's what it is. So that's that's awesome that he worked. With, so that's where your interest in baseball came from. Yeah, that's where it came from. Yeah, man. I just was not not. I just wasn't good. I was a good outfielder, and uh, I could throw the ball well, like a long distance, because I was stronger than the other kids. But for some reason, man, putting that bat to the ball, it just wasn't happening. It wasn't happening for me either. That's why I became a pitcher only when I was 14. I mean, yeah, maybe I should have tried to have done that. But I'm not – I don't think there's very many short and stocky pitchers. I don't think that's a thing. There's some out there, but most guys you see, they're pretty – Yeah, they're pretty pretty big guys. More lanky. That's how quarterbacks are too. Everybody with a good arm has longer limbs. So – well, dude, that's that's a uh, that's awesome. That is definitely a baseball life right there. Do you ever miss it? Absolutely. That's why I'm still coaching. Yeah. Do you ever? So, I not, miss the competition. Yeah. I the, loved competing, 
And I just love talking trash. Yeah. I was known, especially in high school. Yeah. And, and uh, jun- it got, it was pretty early in JUCO, my first JUCO season. We had been there maybe three weeks. And I got called out by the coach for being like the biggest trash talker he's ever met. And like really? how cocky. And I was like, I didn't think I was cocky and arrogant, but it could be my best friend at the plate, like the batter that I'm pitching against. Yeah. It, and like. If I'm pitching against him, I get him out. And it happened, like, inter-squads and stuff. Or, like, mm-hmm. I'm, like, dog-cussing these guys. Like, <laughs> get on the bench. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> That's awesome, dude. Man, I feel like back then, and sports have changed so much through the years, but, I mean, football, baseball, basketball, whatever, I feel like back then, man, you could, like, you could get away with that. I feel like now there you could, you could dude, because I, um, I wasn't a real loud talker. I mean, I definitely ran my mouth on the field a little bit, but I, I didn't if I didn't have a reason to. But if like somebody was running their mouth at me or something like that, then I, I would definitely get chatty real quick. But I mean, man, that's just oh, a I part of the, that's just a part of the game, dude. And that's that is like a part of some people's game. Like that's Dude, kinda love, how they even op- if I couldn't yeah. back it up, like yeah, I'm, I'm at, you're going to hear me. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of how some people operate with it. So Now, when I got to Cumberland, no, not happening. That wouldn't, that wouldn't <laughs> no. a thing. I, I always wondered how baseball trash talk is because, like, I mean, the mound is, you know, a pretty good little distance from the home plate. So you kind of have to. Dude, it is, but the most comes from the dugouts. I mean, oh, you think? Yeah, and and there's a lot you can't hear in the stands. Oh, I, I and, and that's the same with football. And, oh, dude, and what you can hear. Dude, but if the stands could hear what the players are saying on the football field, football would canceled. not be. It canceled a long time. I'm talking a long time ago. <laughs> that it would not. Everybody would be running track and field. Like it wouldn't be a thing. Yeah, that, that some of the things that I've heard said on there, I would never repeat. So it's like that with baseball. Yeah. So, but the. The, you got to be sneaky with it because I feel like you almost got to say it like at a point of like, like you know, if you're saying something from the dugout, you got to make it count. <laughs> you do. You know, like maybe like a break in the music, you're gay. You know, something <laughs> just you just gotta you gotta sneak something in. Man, there. and you do. Yeah. yeah, that's that is very true. But man, it 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 really starts because like, man, if you're let's say it's a Friday game mm-hmm. and like. I use Cumberland as an example because we Cumberland doesn't have classes on Fridays. So, like, you get to the field at, like, 7 in the morning. Well, that's sick. The game starts. Thursday Depending night on what game time. Night. If it's a later game, maybe not 7, but, like, say it's 1 or 2 in the afternoon, you get there at 7. Yeah. And you start stretching. They take batting practice on the field. The whole team does. Mm-hmm. Batting practice takes a while. They get off the field, you take batting practice. Yeah. They get off. They take like uh, infield work and like a defensive work. They go through this full routine called in and out. Mm-hmm. They get off. Then you do. Then they yeah. drag the field, water the field, go through the opening ceremonies, whatever. And it's like a lot that goes into it. And it's like that's when the trash talking <laughs> starts. It's yeah. like, and we yeah. would always. It was hilarious, and I and I actually learned this at Vol State. You can find that guy watching them warm up and hit and take infield. You can find that one guy on the opposite team 
that you know that you can get in his head. Yeah. And if he struck out or mm-hmm. he made an error, or if he did something like that, the whole dugout would absolutely erupt. Yeah. So much louder than if it was anything else. Yeah, yeah, Just yeah. to get under that guy's skin. And we're looking for, mm-hmm. you know, a helmet toss. We're looking for, uh, like, him just to lose his mind or trying to get in this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, because it just it – then, like, he's feeling a mass amount of pressure because he knows, you know – even if he strikes out on the second, or he you know swing and a miss on the second pitch, it's oh, dude, and it's everybody. Yeah, and he's just thinking like I I I have to hit this next one. I I have to. And at that point, if he's thinking that, yeah. it's a wrap. Oh yeah, you're already. If his mind is leaving what's like happening in the game and that pitch is being thrown to him, it's a wrap. We mm-hmm. got him. And mm-hmm. oh man, that. That's what sets those special plays apart when they when all that adversity is going on. They just knock one out of the park, and yeah. then everybody's like, "Oh, what? yeah, that one sucks." <laughs> yeah, it's like, "Oh well, we shouldn't have been saying that." I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, man, one of the things I wanted to ask you about that's kind of interesting about your time at um, Cumberland is, I guess you played with Ernest, the country music singer. No, 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 that was Ball State. That was summer ball. That oh. was in summer ball in college. Oh, okay. Yeah, he – For some um, reason, I thought – where did he play college baseball at? Ernest went to – I could have sworn. Freed Hardman. He went to Freed Hardman. Okay. Now, I don't I don't know how long he stayed there because I don't think he played a season. Oh, okay. I'm pretty sure it's Freed Hardman. I could be wrong Man, on he's that. doing me for a loop. I thought that he played at Cumberland with two years for you. I've been no, telling no, no, people no. that. <laughs> you keep telling that. Or, <laughs> Dude, don't tell them never mind. Cause, yeah. But, yeah, Ernest, it's it's still weird hearing him called Ernest because we all called him Snowflow. Oh. Because at that time, he he was a little bit more interested in rap. Really? Which is weird because I was like Wednesday games. He couldn't mm-hmm. make Wednesday games because he was singing at church. <laughs> it's like. Interesting. Yeah, interesting because you don't see like at church, uh, yeah, leading music snowflow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's but the same um, like it. it it doesn't. Man, it honestly doesn't shock me that he's where he is now. Seems like he's pretty musically talented, and he was. And I, I might on my phone. I know I do on Facebook like old videos, like have him singing in hotel rooms and stuff, like really? bringing his guitar and singing. Yeah, but. I never would have thought he'd be where he is now. Like I thought he was going to make it like a comedian or yeah, like something he's in seriously one of the like something in entertainment because yeah, he's like one of the most off the wall guys I've ever met. Really, and uh, but then he could sing and it was like this weird package of like man, he, I think he, and he uh, was good at baseball. Yeah, he was yeah. he was really good at baseball. I was but. listening to the podcast Busting with the Boys, and uh, they were they played in like the celebrity softball game, and I guess Ernest played in it. And everybody was like, he was a little different. Like, he was, like, kind of good. At <laughs> Dude, he could play. Yeah, he they was were good. like, he, he was pretty good. Like, kind of like better than everyone else <laughs> kind of <laughs> deal. Because he, like, he played in, you know, college baseball. So, they were kind of like, yeah, he was uh, definitely like a a good one. Dude, but, and I loved hanging out with that guy. Really? He seems like an interesting dude. He he fits in real well with Hardy and Morgan Wallen. So. Now, seems like a I fun, will fun say. time. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like uh, a- every hotel we stayed at, the whole first floor was just covered in skunk. <laughs> so, but it, it was, 
That's fun. It was a lot of fun, just him picking the guitar and yeah, singing. And I, and I still have, and I, and I sent them, I sent him the videos that I had not too long ago. Uh, well, it's probably been five or six years, and but I, it's been probably that long since I've talked to him. But just, I guess, some of those memories and yeah, he was. But it was, it, I mean, it was the craziest thing of just how he acted. And next yeah. thing you know, he's like... He's blowing up right now. He is. Yeah, he's a good songwriter. Mm-hmm. And, like, it, it surprises me. It does not surprise me at all that he has kind of reached that, we can say fame, I guess, yeah. for lack of better terms. But, mm-hmm. I mean, he just had... He is so talented on just... I mean, yeah. Like, just as far as being a comedian and a musician and, I yeah. mean, playing instruments. And he's got a great voice and... Mm-hmm. You kind of wonder how. Do you ever feel like certain people are just like good at everything they do? Yeah. He Mookie Betts. Yeah. I don't know if you know Mookie Betts. That sounds super familiar. He plays now, I believe, with the Dodgers. Okay. But Mookie yeah, Betts is one. He he played on our travel team for the longest. Dude, that sounds real familiar. Maybe and, I know uh, him because of the Dodgers. Dude, he's one of the most. I'll say top 20 most well-known baseball players at the time right now but yeah and, and Mookie was one of those when we were growing up like hell of a he, name dude he's in um well the real name's Marcus he's a uh, he compete in the off season of baseball competes like uh like pro bowling like that's what I'm saying man like like these people that are like you know just on the outskirts of like being good at everything that they do, you feel like they're they're good at other stuff too. I feel like having like a good balance is like good for athletes, but it, it just to me it seems like people that are really good at something, I always find those same people to be good at other stuff too. And I think that's I, I agree with that. Yeah, whether it's music or like random something random like bowling or like it just always turns out like that. And maybe it's just because like. If you're good at one thing, that probably means you're like a hard worker and you're willing to dedicate your time to other things too, but I don't know. I feel that way because if you look at somebody that's like, say, say really good at baseball, mm-hmm. how often do you hear somebody that's like at that level, like a, a top performer in Major League Baseball, like he's really good at baseball, but he sucks at everything else. Yeah, <laughs> You no, don't hear that. You no. Just, I feel like once you got that mindset, that locks into like – most other things in your life as well and that's something i wish i would have um put more interest in whenever i was younger um is like just other sports and my dad tried to get me to play like basketball and mm-hmm. and i would play in the backyard and but i I never played in the game and what's crazy is yeah. when i was at cumberland after our um first scout day which you've got like scouts from every team come and show up and like watch for a couple of hours, watch everybody. That you know, they get how fast you can run, how hard you throw. They watch you pitch the live batters, watch you hit. They do the whole, whole nine yards. The questionnaires, if they if they have interest in you, they leave you with a questionnaire um, to fill out, and that's like the first form, the first form of um, essentially getting drafted. Yeah. And um, I had a couple in my locker that were handed to me after our first scout day. And, like, the second question, third question was, what other sports did you play growing up? Really? Yeah. Goose egg. Goose egg. Nothing. 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 And I was like, that's when it clicked for me. I was like, dang. Yeah. Like, I would have never even, like, why is that on a, like, 
Colorado Rockies. Like, why are they interested in what sport, other sports I played growing up? What, mm-hmm. did, what sports did my dad play growing up? Yeah, um, Philip Fulmer, Fulmer, the longtime head coach of uh, Tennessee's, the Vols, uh, he was recruiting a defensive end for, for us, Montour Hughes from Siegel. And uh, he actually never came and watched them uh, during football season. He came to watch them during basketball season. He came to a basketball game and watched them. He played basketball? Yeah, he played basketball and football. <laughs> no kidding. And uh, he came to a basketball game and watched them, but he never came to his football game. Wow. So coaches, man, like on the next level, they love them. Like, you know, They two, love multi-sport athletes. They do, man. And I try to p- preach that to the kids that I'm, or parents that I'm – of the kids I'm coaching now, but yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a well, that's a good transition. So <clears throat> obviously, you get out of playing yourself, you get into your career that you're doing now. And um, did you did you miss the sport so much that you just wanted to be around it again and coach again? Or take me through that a little bit. No, I actually – there was a little bit of a break in between finishing playing and coaching, and that was softball. Oh. And coming out of softball yeah. – Beer league. That's what I was looking for. Yeah. I, was, I was hoping for a beer league. But we got out there, and it was, this was for um, Team MAPCO gas stations. Oh. Like uh, of the local, like within Rutherford County, surrounding counties. Yeah, you show up, they give me a Mapco jersey. It's like, yeah, get it. Okay, it was so competitive that like, that it, it honestly ran me away from it. Really? Yeah. And so we went from Mapco. I played the season with Team Mapco, and the next, the following season, which I think was in the same year, was Hype Energy Drinks. I don't even know if they're still around. Mm, but it was team hype energy drinks or whatever. And I remember we're getting beat 15 to nothing. And I hit a ball, it makes it to the fence. And I stop at first base. And <laughs> the guy who like orchestrated the team, had it all together, was like yelling at me like, you need to turn that into a double and like kicks the fence. And I walked off first base, took the jersey off and said, all right, I'm done here. It's really? Like, yeah. Like I came out here, just have a good time. This is way too competitive for me. I'm yeah. not having fun. Like, that's not fun to me, like, that competitive. And, I, and for some people it is, but for me at that time, like, I just got done playing college ball. I'd been on the road and just traveling, traveling, traveling. I'm, like, looking for something to kind of, I don't know, stay active, have a little bit of a hobby. Yeah. And they were taking it so serious. I was like, no. Yeah. Mm, so me. then a family, maybe it was Thanksgiving or Christmas or New Year's dinner or something with Jesse's family. Um, her cousin Trey was coaching a team and um, at leadoff in Smyrna, and we were going back and forth, going back and forth. He's like, hey, if you want to coach, come on out. Yeah. And I thought about it, and I was like, I don't know, I don't know. And, I, and then I did it, and I loved it. It was fun. It was a blast. It was fun traveling, you know, just mm-hmm. every so often going out of going out of Murfreesboro and – uh, you know, teaching the, I, I, I kind of fell in love a little bit with teaching baseball, primarily pitching, and I started doing lessons there. And man, I loved it. Mm. And then, 
for whatever reason, I stopped for like a half a year. And then the guy that runs lead off contacted me through Facebook and was like, Hey, we've got. Is lead off like a league it, organization. organization? It's an organization, a travel ball organization. Okay. So it's at what did you ever go to grand slam in Smyrna? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's where it's at. Okay. So they took over Graham's grand so slam. So it's out of there. It's out of there. Okay. Yeah. So it, it used they used to have like those metal cages and batting yeah. cages like you would at. Uh, oh yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it, it's not that now. It's a lot nicer now. But he messaged me on Facebook. It was like, hey, we've got all these age groups. Are you interested in any of them? I was like, I'd like to take a nine-year-old team and just yeah, start with them fresh and stay with them like forever. And yeah, that's pretty much how I got back into it. Wow. And so they just. Um were they cool with that just off your playing experience, basically? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. And good. that's how they advertised it to get kids yeah. in. Really? Now, granted, that team that we started with was the worst team <clears throat> really? I've ever experienced in my life at any sport. So, at first, you were like, I don't know if I should have. And I didn't know that because yeah. I hadn't seen nine-year-old talent. I was like, Mm-mm. for a while, I was like, dang, we're pretty good. We can throw, we can catch. Yeah. For the most part. Yeah. <laughs> We're gonna be pretty good, and we came out our first game. We got beat twenty-eight to zero. You don't see twenty-eight on a baseball scoreboard. No, you wouldn't think you don't see that. (laughs) You don't see that. And I said, "Oh my god!" (laughs) Like, what are we doing? And so my buddy that was helping me coach, he, uh, it was like that tournament. He said, "I'm out." Really? Because it was pretty clear at that at that moment that team was formed to bring in revenue, bring in a little bit of income for that organization. Yeah. And that – I never had that thought going into it because I was like, we're just coaching kids. Yeah. But the, they were so bad. And, and travel baseball, really, true travel baseball, like it's a whole nother level of talent. Mm-hmm. And um, none of these kids – they were nine. They were, none of those kids would have made like – maybe except two of them. Um, two of them would have made like a seven-year-old all-star team. Okay. And it was it was brutal. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was it was brutal. And then that was tough itself because it was up to me to like build the team, and they were game with whatever I did. So mm-hmm. after that first season, man, I cut like eight kids, nine kids out of eleven or twelve. Yeah, and then started having tryouts and yeah, try to start building something. I guess. So you post like you would you would post a tryout through that organization You're saying right. like you know try out come try out blah, blah blah and they would okay and there's facebook groups like <clears throat> middle tennessee travel baseball mm-hmm. and there's there's like three or four of them where you like go there and try to advertise and okay you, and like are these same like groups essentially like the same groups that you see on the espn like world series like little league world series yes and no if you make um, it to that, boy. Dude, you're the real deal, but... That's sick. Like... So, Little League is pretty much based out of your, like, city leagues. Yeah. So, like, your sports com mm-hmm. around here, um, Barfield. I think Barfield plays in it, but mm-hmm. it's like your city league. Yeah. It's not travel ball, it's city league. But what is what has happened, or... I don't know how long this has been going on, probably for a while, but um, everybody that was on that, like the Nolensville teams, we play those guys in travel ball. Yeah. And they're good. Yeah. 
they're basically beefing up teams in their city league and going and beating the absolute crap out of people. Dang. To the point where whatever they take an all-star team or whatever the case is, it, they're finessing the system. Yeah. And it's not just Nolansville, Murfreesboro, Rutherford County, whatever mm. county that is, Nolansville, David, maybe Davidson. It's not just them that's doing it. it everybody's doing it. But, mm. like, whenever they get on TV and they're competing, it's like, I'm recognizing names. Like, we're playing – we play against these kids. Yeah, oh, wow. And it's like, the, they're – like, they're from Franklin. They're from Brentwood. Dang. I'm like, they're not true, like – Yeah. City – and it, it's wrong yeah. because they're coming in and they're stacking teams to get to that point. Yeah. They're not stacking teams for extra reps. They can tell you that, and that, that might be an excuse. Mm-hmm. But you can finesse the drafts whenever you're going in and everybody's getting drafted to their teams. Mm-hmm. You can finesse those – it's gotten to the point because there's there's been a lack of interest in those city leagues. Like you can bring seven or eight kids, something like that, to your team in city league. Yeah. It's like, yeah. It's just it's just working the system. So, how wrapped up do you get in like trying to finesse the system, or just like taking what you got and just having a good time and trying to make the kids that you got the best? Like, is your goal? I guess what I'm asking is, like, is your goal to win as many games as possible and be successful, or is it to, like, try to develop these kids and make them go on and be, like, really good high school baseball players? This is always a tough question. Yeah. Cause, I mean, because, I mean, you want to win. I would. I mean, who doesn't want to win, you know what I mean? Like, that, we, we could have I mean, a whole I play, other – I play any game to win. I don't care. That could be a whole other podcast yeah. conversation on just winning. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't do anything to – Man, it, it is a – it's a big mix of both. But there's some other factors that come into play. Yeah. And, like, it is very rewarding – to invest in kids and see some of the things that you're teaching them, like mm-hmm. see it pay off or see them start to learn. Yeah. Like that itself is like a great feeling. Yeah. But in my concept, because this is the way it was for me and this is just how a coach, like you you got to perform. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like What's you've got to perform, you've got to win. And I, yeah, and so I've um, – at at I only have two kids now that are left on my original team. And like I said, I, the the first seven or eight, like when you're getting beat twenty eight to zero, Ooh. like that, you're not working with anything. No. And especially, I'm coming into that thinking like, that's rough. Like, and I and I'm teaching the, uh, I'm teaching the kids everything I can, but yeah, at, at some point you got to recognize who who has it, who doesn't. Mm-hmm. And that's where it gets tough because you build a lot of great relationships and some people you ultimately got to let go. And Yeah. But the main focus is, is making them the best baseball player that you can while you have them. Yeah. Players come and go. Parents act freaking nuts. And that, man, I've, I've cut more kids that uh, just because of the way their parents act. Really? <laughs> like... Man, that's unfortunate. No, and it's not like they're just acting out, but they're like obsessive or thinking their kids are better than what they are. And it's like I can't. Um, <clears throat> so growing up, 
I, I don't know how your parents were, but, um, you know, growing up, I played a bunch of little sports. I played soccer and uh, basketball mainly. Um, played baseball. You know, I played t-ball and then played fast pitch one year. Um, my mom and dad in the stands, quiet as a mouse, dude. That was my parents. They would, they wouldn't something like somebody would have smacked me across the face for my dad to say something like, and I always appreciated that even as a kid because I would see other parents like losing their minds and like standing up and cussing and like going off and like yelling, and I was always just like that just seems so unnecessary, and uh, you're really not helping anything. You're, you're, not. you're being what you what you're doing is you're being a jerk and you're not improving your kid's game you're not in, you're, you're not helping anything and you're you're being emotionally unstable is what you're doing <laughs> that's what you're doing no absolutely you're a, you are if you stand up and start screaming during your kids i don't care what kind of game it is you are emotionally unstable I'm, I'm going to call it what it is. That's, that didn't have to be your words because no. I know you coach these kids, but it's mine. No. Something's wrong with you. And I am glad that you've never come to watch a game. Dude, Because you'll be mind blown. Now, dude, where, where look, we're at now, it's a little bit different. It's a, little bit, it's, it's a calmer crowd. Now, uh, hey, easy. My mom was the first one to jump up if I did something good and be like, <sighs> you know what I'm saying? Like in cheer, in cheer though like encouraging things but like when times are bad just shut up just be quiet you're the home stadium if 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 any home team is getting beat the stadium's quiet that's (laughs) that's how it's supposed to work you cheer your team on the best you can but like you can't stand up and get like confrontational or like try to start coaching your kid about dropping their elbow or, or something weird that they're doing yeah. in the middle of a game, man. You that's struck not, a nerve there. That's not the time. Like it's just not. Like, but and, they don't get it. But they don't get that that's not the time, and they don't get that they don't understand when you're telling them that's not the time. Yeah. Because like everything that you're doing leading up to that game, that's the time. Mm-hmm. When you say when you're hitting, when you get into the box, the batter box to hit. You don't need to be thinking about your elbow here, your hands here, this mm-hmm. there, this there. You need to see the ball, yeah. hit the ball. Yeah. But you got man, you got parents just blabbing this, blabbing that. You they've got thirty different things going through their mind. Of- I, I think I think good coaches, um, which every every head coach coaches differently, but like my head coaches in in high school, they would chew your butt. In practice, scream at you, yell at you. That's the time um, to get something right. But during the game, um, they were there to to call the game. And they wouldn't say – even if you messed up, they wouldn't say – I mean, they would try to correct you on something and uh, something like that. You going for another one? Yeah. I got you. Go for it. But I don't – I just don't think that, like – Man, when you're in the middle of a game, you're not the, – the the coaching to get better is over. Like, you're there to call the game. You know what I mean? Like, you're there managing the game. I agree with that 100%. It's not practice anymore. So, like, even even as a coach, 
you're wearing different lenses in a game because it's not the same as practice. Like, so your attitude's even different. Like, in practice, yeah, if some kid's doing something and they keep doing something you're telling them not to, you're like, that's terrible. Take two laps. You know, you can't do that in a game. You know, you're just like, take a mental note, like, well, they're still doing the same old crap, so uh, they might not start <laughs> next week. But, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, you're not, but you're not, like, chewing them out in a game. That's, at least that's now, how I see it. No, I agree, but I do, I do chew them out. I, I chew parents out. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I get off the – and Jesse will be sitting there by the dugout, Stevie, stop. I'm like, no, because the kid needs to learn, the parents need to learn. Yeah. That's so wild that they do that. I, it is, but most of them, it's they, most they don't it's know most they haven't played. Yeah. They haven't played, and, I mean, they're right there. You know, say a kid strikes out. When he strikes out and he's walking back to the dugout, he's passing all the parents. He's passing mom, dad, grandma, grandpa on the way to the dugout. So, good job. And what was a good job? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. But it, it it gets frustrating, and we've got a we've got a pretty good group now of parents. But I yeah. still feel like they don't truly understand like kids' ability and. And it, it's gotten so bad about, like, organizational ball. Mm. Like, which we started out in an organization, and everybody wanted to pack up and leave because it was getting so expensive, so we did our own thing, and it's a lot cheaper. Um, yeah. But in the Nashville area, like, you've heard of Rawlings. Mm-hmm. Rawlings is now has teams this age to whatever age. And then there's the East Coast. Um out of out of Georgia, East East Cobb, and there's East Coast, and they're all organizations. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's getting so expensive. It's tough to compete with them because, I mean, these guys at at eleven U, twelve U, some of these teams like like there's a team that's out of Lebanon. None of their practices have there. There will not be one practice that they have. That has all of their kids present really? because they're in different cities. Oh wow! And 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 they travel every every two weeks. So, so every up. two weeks they're going Alabama, Georgia. Relatively close. They're not they're not flying. Yeah. The Carolinas, Kentucky, but they're going. But these where whoever's playing with them and their roster could be like thirty kids. Mm. But it's like if we're playing in cut Kentucky, we got these three kids coming to play with us and it's like yeah that's a little dad's yeah. playing to win yeah like that's playing so, for trophies playing for hanging things on the mantle some of them kids are just meeting up on game day to play right kind of thing okay well yeah well, i mean but at, at 12 you 13 what's the point at that age i've seen it at 18 19 summer ball kids in the parking lot coming to meet the coach that just flew in but yeah let me, well let me ask you this um and this this is my personal opinion and like i said i'm not a baseball guy so i could be uh, out of pocket here a little bit on this but um i feel like we're doing too much so I'm one of those people that think baseball season should be baseball season. Basketball season should be basketball season. And, you know, football season's football season. But 
what it's turning into is every sport is year-round. And I definitely think that, like, you should hone your skill and practice and try to become better. But, man, you got to wonder about, like, the rate of burnout with these kids playing baseball 365. It's awful. But that might be baseball. I don't know. But I know basketball is getting like that. Baseball 100% is that way. Yeah. And I just don't know, man. Like like I said, I think you should practice. Like I think you should be honing your skill. But at the same time, like I don't know if you should actually be like involved like with a team like year-round. Dude. Seems like too much. Especially like just speaking in terms of baseball, like it's too much on the arm. You're throwing too much. Yeah. It's too much commitment. If um, if you're not going to play another sport, if you're not committed to another sport, use that time to get stronger or, or work on yeah. other things within the game. But you don't have to play. Yeah. You don't have to – because so much is involved yeah. in playing with, with practices and actually playing. and. Yeah, I agree. But it's – Right now, I feel like it's so far gone. I don't know. I don't see it ever coming back the other way. Because unless you're going to commit to another sport, and and some kids do commit to other sports, and they're like, okay, we're going to shut down baseball for this time being. And and I think when you get into middle school, they they kind of mm-hmm. regulate that. Like, say middle school football. Like, hey, you need to be committed to middle school football. You need to be at practices and weightlifting and whatever else. Like, yeah. you don't need to be committed to baseball. When it's over go to the next thing whether it be basketball baseball whatever but mm-hmm. everybody wants to play just play and play and play and play I'm like there's no room for development and and that's just my personal opinion like uh that no I agree that sounds odd because you're like there's no room for development but it's almost like you're too busy to develop I feel like you need like a time period where you're like man I'm just gonna like for, like, the next, like, two months, I'm just going to focus on, like, lifting weights and, like, getting stronger and maybe, like, getting faster and stuff like that. And, you know, in the meantime, you can throw, but, like, you're also, like, you know, resting your throwing arm and stuff like that. But I don't know, man. I just – sometimes I don't – dude, I – there's no way – I mean, football is a different sport, but you can't play it year-round. Right. And it's just – I just don't know if you're meant to. I don't think you're meant to play anything year-round. Yeah. Take I, a break. I agree. I agree. And I and I try to preach it to our parents or the parents that I've coached, like, take a break. And some of them are like, oh, my God, I've never taken a break like this before. I'm like, that's a problem. It doesn't mean that it's wrong, but, like, take a break. Let the body rest. Do you think that not taking a break – can lead to you ultimately not having as much of a passion for the sport? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I believe that. And, I, and yeah. I saw it a lot growing up is like you just see and you see kids as, you, as you're starting to get older, especially middle school years. Like because middle school, it's not as fun as like travel ball and stuff. But mm. the interest, they, the kids start losing interest. They start falling off. Even if they're good ball players or good Whatever they are, they just start slowly dropping off and dropping off. And a lot of it, I've seen some very, very good baseball players drop through the years just because they lost interest. 
Really? And, and, I, and I really feel like it's just burnout. It's burnout. Just, it's like yeah. you're just playing more baseball than you need to be. Yeah. You're not devoting time. And, and it's the coaches that make it that way. And it's and it's bad. It's like, man, at freaking 11U, 12U now, if you want to join, like these organizations I'm talking to, or I was telling you about earlier of that are coming in and, and there's, dude, there's, there's not a hundred, but it seems like there's a hundred. Yeah. Even if you're committed to a middle school, like, I don't know, baseball is the easiest for me to reference to. Even if you're not playing a middle school, like, baseball game, like, they still want you to be present at their practice, their workout, whatever it is. Mm. And it's a middle school. Yeah. Because they want, when, you're, when your middle school season ends, they want you to, like, perform then. It's like, you get no break. You're leaving. Like, I've got some kids, and, and I hate fall ball. But I've got some kids that are coming from like baseball practice at Seagull Middle School. Yeah. To come practice with me. It's like, it's like they, that is too much. You already practiced today. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. you've already practiced. You've already maxed out whatever you're doing. That's crazy. And now you're going to start getting loose, throwing. Yeah. You're going to do everything and then get ready and practice with me again. It's like. And Coach Tobit at Seagull ain't playing. <laughs> <laughs> he is not playing. He's not. I've got. Th- <laughs> three that are with Tobit now boy he is not I was uh roommates with his son in college for a little bit Wesley yeah really I didn't Mm -hmm. know that Mm -hmm. (laughs) and coach Tobit is not playing and I went to Siegel Middle too and he was he's not playing he's not but yeah honestly like he's the last one in my opinion that is running it the right way really because he's saying Like Mondays, you got bullpens, which is like pitcher practice, like where you're pitching with no hitter. Yeah, you're working on your pitches. Yeah, Mondays. I don't. He, he's basically saying, I don't care if you're sore after your whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't care what the case is. You've got bullpens. It's it's middle school like practice time. You've got to commit to this. Mm-hmm. And I like that because everybody else, it seems, is like okay. Well, you pitch this weekend with your travel team. Well, we're not gonna we're not gonna work on anything this week. Yeah, it's like if it's time for you to commit to your middle school, commit. Yeah, have nothing else that's interfering with that. And, and Tobit is the only one that's left. That's like, and, and some of the parents, I feel like, even back then, they they have a tough time with Tobit because he can be hard or some yeah. of the things that come out of his mouth. No, he's but, tough. but I like him. Yeah, I mean tough. he's he's old school. He's old school, but yeah. he's there's not many that are still. Doing things the way that he's doing them. Yeah, no. Especially in middle school. Yeah, he's he's a good guy. I, I like him. He he chewed me out one day for trying to leave school early, but he's a he's a good dude. <laughs> but uh, dude, real quick, I'm gonna take a pee break. All right, back back in action. Drain the main vein. <laughs> All right. Well, man, so. Coaching little league baseball, what what what's been like the main thing that you've taken away from it that you enjoy, and like why do you keep doing it? Just, man, it is the coolest thing to watch something, and you know whenever you teach them something, you see it in a game. But watching, watching the kids implement something in a game that you've been like just practicing on practicing and practicing and and seeing it unfold because Mm -hmm. until middle school like 
like I'm the only like source of instruction that most of these kids are getting. Yeah. So seeing it, it's getting it's getting harder to see some of these things when you get into middle school because we're what they're teaching in middle school is pretty much what I'm trying to teach or mm-hmm. add on to. Yeah. Um during travel ball, but man, really seeing just like the work that you're pouring into them and the hours that you're pouring into them. When you see them um, implement that into a game, it's like, man, it's it's just like a cool feeling. I don't. Yeah. That's cool, man. So, I mean, in which I know we've been uh, on a little bit, not, not a too bad of a parade of trashing the parents, but I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of these parents become like family a little bit and you know them really well. That makes it really tough. Yeah. Cause these kids stay with you for uh, years at a time and, you see them grow, you see the parents grow through their their kids stages of life. So I'm sure that's cool is I'm sure the relationship side of it is good too, isn't Some it? Some of the kids I've had since they were eight and they're now thirteen uh, and it's like Yeah. And and I mean they they've seen Jesse and I grow like mm-hmm. there's some people that I coached whenever um like I whenever I first started coaching before I took that break and then ended up taking over the nine U team. Mm-hmm. Um I still stay in touch with a lot of those parents and like I remember having to leave and I like I missed a tournament or two tournaments two weekends because that was like our honeymoon. Yeah. And it's like they've it's like yeah. I've watched the kids grow up. I've watched the parents like grow with their uh, relationship uh-huh. with those kids, but they've also watched like me grow as a person and me grow in my marriage and That's awesome, man. That's And that's it's pretty neat and and honestly that makes it it makes it really hard or it, it, it's a big factor in like me hanging on to it because yeah. it's not like I, like I feel like I owe them anything, but it's like, I've yeah. been so committed to them. It's hard to just say, okay, I'm done. Yeah. Do you think you would ever want to pursue coaching at a higher level or are you, I mean, I know you have a, a sep- obviously you have a separate career from all this, but. I have had interest uh, and coaching at another level, yeah. but, um, whether it be middle school, high school, um, yeah. junior college. Yeah, I don't want to put you on but, the spot. But I know I, you have a job, so I don't want to. Well, it's fine. Yeah. You know my boss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, man, I've had interest, but it's just a commitment. And yeah. I just I, – I don't know if that's truly what I, what I want to do for a living because – yeah. Whenever I whenever I started doing pitching lessons, like, man, I, you know, I was making very good money. Um, I won't say very good. I'll say pretty good money as a side hustle, and it was it was easy, and mm-hmm. it was easy because I enjoyed doing it. But it very quickly got like, once it started feeling like a second job, I was like, man, I hate this. Yeah. And and whenever I'm doing it for free, it's like passion. I, it's just off of passion. I like it a lot more that way. Yeah. Um, so I, I just don't think I could ever do it for a living. I wouldn't. Um, I mean, at this stage in your life, I wouldn't go out and ruin the game of baseball for you. And, uh, you know, you, <clears throat> let's say you took a full-time coaching job and a year and a half into it, you're like, man, this sucks. Like I would be anything, be back at the plant. And that'd be tough. And that'd be <laughs> back tough. at the plant. That'd be tough, man. So I wouldn't. I would never. I would. I would keep doing it like you're doing it, man. Because um, 
because you're always going to be really good at things that you're passionate about and that you genuinely like. So I would, uh, yeah, I'd stick to that, man. And if something, you know, if something leads to something else, uh, inside that then that's great but like i um sounds like you got a good thing going i would really enjoy the feeling or like to see a kid that i've coached or kid that i've gave instruction to like make it to another level yeah and and it was cool to me like um every kid that we coached um that's on our team right now made a middle school team i'm like to me that was like man that's Mm -hmm. rewarding because yeah, man. And then they'll make the high school team. And then they'll make the high school team. But, like, I, I, I would really uh, find a lot of enjoyment seeing a kid make it to college. Yeah, yeah. I don't I'm – not, I'm not hanging in that long. No. Like, with coaching these kids because at some point they need to get into – they need to receive some other coaches. Some of them – No, but – Since they've been – since they started kid pitch, like, I'm the only coach they've ever had. Yeah. Well, but you can – I'm sure there's a couple of them you could follow – into their, you know, like I had a, I had a little league coach that coached me that would come to my high school games. Really? And be like, man, you're like the only one that ended up being like, you know, like a real deal, like good football player Dude, in high school. Awesome. And he would come and like watch my games and stuff like that. And would talk to me after the games and like, oh, back in the day, you were the only one, you know, I thought that could make it, you know, <laughs> all that. And he's a super cool guy still. he I see him on the golf course all the time. So so that's a that's a cool thing to do. Man. I like those. And I hope one day I'm that I'm that coach that they see and they're like, oh, that's Coach Stevie. Yeah, man, you, know? you can follow him. I've I mean, seen these kids, man. Yeah. Like a couple weeks ago or maybe a month or two ago, I saw um, one of our kids on the team, he got baptized. Oh really? And they invited Jesse and I to come to their really? church and watch That's them. That's cool. Bad. And I was like, Jesse's just bawling. She's mm. just in tears. And I was like, man, this is cool. I was like, not that I had the much or if any influence on him and in his mm-hmm. Christianity, but I was like, I've yeah, been, I've been a main factor in his life because he's still. I mean, I've worked so. on that kid like three or four days a week at some at some point over yeah. five years. It's like, does that get hard to? Um, <clears throat> I mean, and this is something that I struggle with personally. Is it hard to be a good influence that much? Because it, it's a struggle for me every day to behave. So, I mean, I, I try my hardest every day to get through the day without doing anything stupid or saying anything <laughs> wild or doing anything crazy. And, like, when you're coaching kids, like, I feel like that's an easy environment to just, like, lose it every once in a while. Is it hard to, like... Sometimes, like, hone it in. And you might be a more calmer person than I am, but. It was a lot harder when they were younger. And and I the way I handled a lot of things while they were 8, 9, 10, mm-hmm. 11. <laughs> the way I handled things then, um, it, and I, I feel like it was because I was younger and fresh to coaching and and kind of close to whenever I got finished playing baseball, so like some of the some of the the ways that I handled the game, mm-hmm. I, I tried to handle it while I was coaching, which was wrong. Yeah. Um, but now that they've gotten older and they're thirteen, I mean, they're teaching me things. <laughs> it's like yeah, like I'm finding out things around them, and, and it's a lot easier now. Like 
I feel a lot more comfortable being around them mm-hmm. uh, on how I handle things and stuff. And yeah, um, sure. of course it, it it's tough because I mean women girl well, I won't say women but girls start <laughs> coming into the picture and yeah man they and wanna... it's it's funny man because I've watched these I like to say that I watch these kids grow up they want to get out there but hit the dating game a little bit oh they're hitting it hard yeah as they should man but as they should. Yeah, I just uh, it, it's getting easier now that they're older, but mm-hmm. but I treat like the way I treat them now that they're thirteen. I treated them that way when they were eight. Yeah. So yeah, it wasn't good for at eight, but it was also like my first time being in charge of a team and all these kids. And again, I was like kind of fresh out of college baseball, so I was like, "You're yeah. gonna do this my way." <laughs> yeah. You don't like it? Pack your bags. No, I if mean you ain't already got your bags packed. You're already behind. I think kids definitely need that. And and look, man, I think I think I don't think there is definitely like a a, a textbook writer way to coach or be a necessarily even be a parent or in a leadership role. But you know, I think everybody does things in their own unique way, and it seems like they're responding to you well because sounds like y'all been pretty successful. We've been successful, but yeah, many have responded well, Some many have. have not. Yeah, well. It was like, man, if I could, if I had a dollar for every Facebook post that was written about me, that's eh, not for everybody. It's I just not. retired yesterday. It's just not. It's not for everybody. <clears throat> and look, man, we don't have to. Uh, we don't have to get into this if you don't want to. But it seems I'm like an open book. Well, I know you. I know you had a battle with uh, cancer a while back, and it seemed like. Um, your the team parents helped out a lot with stuff like that i just remember kaylin telling me like oh the baseball parents are helping them or doing this or doing that and i was like wow man it seems like them people like really care about them man it so times like that it it really man it it really shows like who's who's important to you who like values your friendship like Mm-hmm. How much you mean to other people and and yeah. the baseball parents, man, they showed out. Yeah, I remember the first day that we got home. Well, I won't say the first day. We got home after my surgery to get that tumor, the the first tumor removed out of my spinal cord. Mm-hmm. And um, we got home. The house is like decorated and everything. Mm-hmm. I wake up that morning. I think Jesse had to go to work. She wasn't there, so I said she was at work. And one of the baseball moms is had already gone to the grocery store and is like filling our refrigerator and our pantry with just groceries. Wow! And I and I never expected that. And it's yeah. of course we're we're still very good friends with them. But it's like man, mm-hmm. they just they absolutely showed up. And of course, sometimes going through. Some of the treatments, I was not looking forward to it because I just didn't feel good, but mm-hmm. they showed up. It seemed like, it, it honestly seemed like almost every day somebody, and it was baseball-related, was bringing food or bringing, yeah. you name it, like yeah. gift cards or cards or just, just a wellness check to see how I was doing. Yeah, so uh, just to inform everybody a little bit, you were diagnosed with a brain tumor and a spinal tumor? Germanoma. Which is a kid's cancer. Oh. So I was um, more or less the grandpa of the group. Oh, damn. 
Yeah, it's commonly found in kids. Um, I don't know what age, but it seems like it's it's most commonly found in like fifteen and under. You're I talking don't know earlier about being a grown man in a little kid's body. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. Go. And I got that, I got that joke for a while. But yeah, and yeah, it was called. <sighs> Dang, dude, you couldn't even have adult cancer. <laughs> no, I couldn't. <laughs> Jeez, dude. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. What are you doing with your life? Yeah. So. Uh, that yeah, man, that had to have been so. That had to have been a wild, like a wild time period. How did how did that even come about? That so it's it, it's based that that cancer is, I mean, I, I am very medically inclined. Yeah, like me that too. stuff just it doesn't click with me. Yeah, and and that's unfortunate with Jesse, and, yeah. and with you and, and Caitlin being in the medical field. Yeah. But that is based off germ cells that don't mature. Um, yeah, when you're a kid and you come into the door. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, but my, so it start for me, it started, I was like a faucet, um, and I was peeing every 30 minutes, 45 yeah. minutes, like yeah. uh, seriously, every 45 minutes, and I was, I was peeing a lot, I was peeing a lot, and then with that, I was thirsty. All the time. And I was like, it, it's a thirst that, like, man, I can't even, ex- like, I've never, I can, there's no time in my life where I can like explain like what kind of thirst this is. Like you were just dying and of thirst. Yeah, I can remember like being at a at a friend's house and like we're all hanging out and I was embarrassed because I kept drinking like bottled water and bottled water and bottled water. And I was like and I went to their bathroom to say that I had to go pee and I was like drinking out of the faucet. Oh god. Cuz like, I was so embarrassed and like yeah. I I didn't know what was going on. Mm-hmm. For me like the way I am, I'm waiting on the symptoms to kind of go away a little bit and then I move on, about, move on about my business. I'm not like gonna. Oh, I got a symptom. I'm gonna go to the doctor. So yeah. I let it ride for a while. Exactly. But it got to the point like, man, and it was any, like I'm drinking literally anything in my path, whether it be, and I've never been into sodas and cokes and you yeah. name it. But like I'm chugging them, and I can remember like in the middle of the night chugging a, um, like a big thing of it might have been a gallon of like apple juice. Yeah. I was like, that's not like me. Like I've always been kind of water if I'm just You're sipping just on like anything. Dying. To and then I, and then I'm something. peeing the same amount. So eventually, like I, uh, it, it took like a year of that, and then finally I was like, I've had enough because I'm not sleeping. I'm waking up every 45 minutes. Wow. 30 minutes. Very rarely did I make it over an hour. And I go to the doctor, and they give me this um, like urine output like bag. It, it looks like a gas can oh wow <laughs> and it's like four liters and they said okay they're not understanding my symptoms it's not making sense to them they said measure your urine output and then after through 24 hours after 24 hours call the doctor's office let us know yeah okay because all my blood work checked out fine uh-huh. so i go and it's like i don't know what time of the day and and i feel the i fill it up four liters <laughs> like oh, shit i pour it out a couple of I mean, hours later, I fill it up again. It's it's completely full. That's eight liters. And I fill it up again. Now we're at 12 liters, and I fill it up again. We're at 16. And that's pretty much where I capped out. It's between 14 and 16 liters, that I, my urine output, for a little bit less, probably 20 hours. Ooh. And I called him, and I said, I got it. And he's like, 
what'd you have? I said, I'm between 14 and 16. And they started laughing. I was like, no, I'm serious. So basically they put me on a kidney specialist huh. thinking it was my kidneys. So yeah. I go, and I can remember the woman, like I'm doing blood work. My, I had great veins. My arms are like bruised because I have to go in every single day and get blood work. And they're just bruised where they're hitting veins and whatever else. And she's looking at my kidneys. She said, your kidneys are beautiful. Hmm. I'm like, well, thanks for the compliment, but I'm married, honey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a woman to go home to, so you need to back off. And so they prescribed me a medicine, a nasal spray. And um, they said, take this spray. Um, and then I had a, like a meeting online, whatever, the next day. Um, to see how the spray did, or no, sorry, the next week, and it was like four days, five days. The day I took that spray, I was like sleeping eight hours, seven hours. I wasn't waking up one time through the wow. night. Wow. And it's like the moment I started spraying it, I was like, right and I told the doctor, I was like, this is great. He said, awesome. He said, well, we'll check back in six months, pretty much, and you're good to go. So in my, like, I'm, I'm good to go. Yeah. But never, so we never figured out what was causing it because my kidneys were great. Yeah. Huh. And come to find out, it was my brain. It was my pituitary gland and my pineal gland where the mass started on my brain. Wow. And, um, man, it was like a couple months later. No, probably, gosh, I probably was on that Desmopressin for six months, eight months. Mm. And I remember walking down the steps at work, and it felt like I was stepping on sponges. It was like I would step, and then, like, my leg wouldn't catch. I was like, that feels weird. But yeah. I didn't think anything about it. It almost feels like your legs after you've done like a leg workout. Yeah. The first time in a long time. That's kind of what it felt like. And I was yeah. like, so I go to, and I was going down the steps to go to the bathroom. So I'm like taking my belt off to pee. And I noticed whenever I was taking my belt off, like my hands are bumping against my stomach and I didn't feel anything. Everything was numb. And that's when I was like, okay, something's wrong. Mm. So whatever. I go back. I'm like freaking out. I'm trying to like, I'm Googling everything, which is the worst thing you could ever do. Oh, you're dead. <laughs> you're dead. <laughs> you got brain cancer. <laughs> yeah. Well, which is a joke, but it actually turned out that way. Yeah. And I'm texting Jesse. Jesse's at the beach. She's in Destin mm -hmm. with her, I think her parents or maybe her mom, just her mom. I'm like, I don't know, understand what's going on. And it's like, I, I literally walk out of work that day. I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm walking to my truck. I've got boots on, like cowboy yeah. boots. and I'm in my work clothes. I'm like, I'm going to try to run to my truck. <laughs> so I take off sprinting. No way. In the parking lot yeah. at work. And like my second step, like my legs just give out. And I'm like fighting to like keep myself up. I'm oh, like, wow. Something's not right. So I tell Jesse, I keep telling like something's not, something's not right. Something's not right. And that was on a Friday. That next day, Saturday, um, like it was in my head. I was like, something's wrong. I'll, like, I need to go. And I kept thinking, because I, like, I started having back pain mm. like, a, like a month before. And it wasn't bad. It was like, but she was going to the chiropractor. I was like, well, I'll go. I was going to the chiropractor, and it, it, nothing ever felt good. And uh, some of the things he was doing, it kind of felt worse and worse. And I thought it was just soreness. Yeah. Uh, but more or less, I... I'm going, I, I, I load Charlie, the dog, mm -hmm. 
up to one of his favorite places. We're going to El Monte, the Mexican restaurant. Oh, yeah, son. <laughs> Ate that earlier this week. Did you? You can't go wrong at El Monte. Oh, That's it. one of his favorite places, rightfully so. Yeah. And on the way there, I was struggling to, like, press, like, press the gas. Or, sorry, not gas. Press the brake. Oh, wow. And um, that evening, um, like... I got home from El Monte. I'm like laying there. Some friends came over. They called Jesse. Hey, he's not doing good, whatever. Steve calls me, Jesse's dad. Mm. We're talking about it. I was like, man, I think I need to go to the emergency room. So he takes me to Stonecrest. We're there. I'm I'm there. He he went back home. I'm there forever. And of course, like this is during COVID. Everybody in front of me has COVID. Mm. And uh, I get there. They're not taking it very serious. And I go, I do my, uh, they get, they put me through a CT scan and something else, and I, I come back, and the guy goes, well, I got the good news. Um, we checked your arteries because you said you've been to the chiropractor. Um, no arteries are torn from, like, your neck man- manipulation, but you got a mass on your brain. <laughs> like, why, why tell me good news if, if that's, <laughs> if there's a mass on my brain? He said, so my job is to keep you alive, so there's nothing I can do for you today. Uh, I would recommend following up with a specialist or something. Oh, Whatever. wow. <laughs> yeah. So you got sent home with a brain tumor? And, and boom, I'm out the door. And like after like 15 minutes, they give me the paperwork. And Steve shows up and picks me up. He's like, what did they say? I was like, I got a mass on my brain. And we're like, I'm looking at the papers. And it's it's got everything on there about it. I was like, I don't know. A week later... I met with the neurosurgeon who we had, like, a recommendation from, like, Jesse, somebody with Vanderbilt that Jesse, Uh word of mouth or something. And um, by that time, in that week, like, man, like, I could not feel my, like, while I'm walking, I can't feel, everything's, everything is numb pretty much from the middle of my stomach down. I can't feel anything. If I got to poop, it's got to be, like, almost coming out before I'm like, okay, something's here. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you got to be prairie dogging. <laughs> prairie dogging. Mm-hmm. A little bit further past prairie dogging yeah. in some instances. Like, like, dang it, the underwear <laughs> like, screwed those up. Are yeah. And, uh, at, and that's how long. So your nerves it, are just shot. Nerves are shot. And so the tumor that was in, inside of my spinal cord was like pressing against the nerves. Mm. And and the doctor told me straight up, he wanted to see me walk, and we went through this whole thing to make sure I wasn't having a stroke or didn't have a stroke. And he's like, we can get you in an MRI in like two weeks. Or if you want one sooner, you can go to the emergency room. And nobody wants to go to the emergency room. Nobody wants to deal with that. Yeah. And it, we ended up, we went home from Nashville, from Vanderbilt. Went home, got better clothes, more comfortable clothes, drove to Nashville, and just went through the emergency room, and then that night, I'll never forget it. I'm I'm sitting there. They don't have any rooms for me. I'm in the hallway. I'm sitting on a bed. Mm-hmm. Um, they take me back to get my MRI, bring me back. Jesse's nowhere to be found. Uh, come find out, she's with some friends across the street at uh, Taco Mama Cita or not Taco Mama Cita. <laughs> I don't remember that place. She's having margaritas. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and. Uh, I'm asking, I'm like trying, like I'm so, I'm such a nervous wreck. I'm trying to figure out like, hey, what did you see on the MRI, whatever. Mm. They said, we don't know, but th- she said something like to the point of like, like that I'm going to be staying overnight. I'm like, okay, I'm being admitted. Something's wrong. Yeah. 
I text Jesse and like some like I'm being admitted. I'm like freaking out at this point. Like, can you please come over here and see if you can? Whatever. Like, yeah. I need you here. Mm. And um, she's trying to, get, which is a funny story in itself, because she's try she tries to come over from, gosh, what is that? Whatever that taco place is across the street from anywhere. Mm. She's trying to come over, and there is like all these people outside of like they had just been shot. This guy comes in on the ambulance and he's just been shot. There's like a murder or something like oh, that. God. And they shut down. They shut down the hospital. Oh, no. But so if Jesse didn't work there and didn't have ad, ad, like badge access, she couldn't have like found her way to me. But she like went like to the backside of the building and then went up the stairs and found yeah. her way to the emergency room. <laughs> she couldn't get in. And then she read my chart. And at that, I think at that moment she knew what they saw, but she didn't tell me. Yeah. They put us in a room. I get in there, I'm eating a chicken salad sandwich. I'll never forget it. The doctor comes in, and he's like, hey, how you doing? And I got a sandwich. I'm eating a sandwich. I'm like, you want a bite? It's like 1 in the morning. I'm like asking the doctor if he wants a bite, like cutting up with him. He said, no, but um, so we got your results, and you got a mass uh, on on your spinal cord also. And I didn't know at that point, like, what was causing the me not to be able to walk. Yeah. At that point, I only knew I had a tumor on my brain or a mass on my brain. He just walked in and said, you have a tumor on your spine. And then I was like, <laughs> so that led to, that was a Friday. That was either a Friday or Saturday. I didn't leave the hospital. I, I was stuck in the hospital. The doctor flew in from New York. Monday I had surgery. And then really? Monday I had surgery. So that, they got that out of there immediately. Immediately. Wow. That was about a five or six hour surgery. Yeah. I don't know. I was butt naked and asleep. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and uh, a week after that surgery is when I started chemo. Really? Yeah. Because uh, obviously you can't do anything about the brain. So you can't just. There, uh, there's an option to do that, but. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so what did that look like? Did they present you with, like, look, we can do brain surgery, you can do chemo? And did they present you with, like, what the odds are? Or? At that point, no, there, there, wasn't, there, there weren't any really. They, they had a pretty good guess that it was a germinoma, I guess, just based off how they were seeing it in the MRI mm. and whatever my blood was showing. Um, but it was more or less of, you know, it's like you got meetings all day with freaking everybody. Yeah. And it's like you got the day shift, whatever, the night shift, the afternoon shift, the so-and-so, the whatever, the clinic. And mm-hmm. then you got your oncologist. And then it, it started to really become real whenever the oncologist comes in because he's like, that's when he's laying out the game plan of this is how we're going to attack it. Yeah. And um, luckily it was very um, – receptive to radiation so i think that's why maybe the brain cancer trying trying to have it removed from our brain was never an option because it radiation was very receptive of it but they came out and they they pretty much said like we're gonna give you a heavy dose of chemo and this is the chemo and this is the side effects and Mm. and everything else and so when you go in for chemo what does that look like? Do you get an IV? What like what is chemo? Dude, it's like I don't man, you're sitting in there and I don't I honestly don't remember one time where I was not the youngest in the room. 
Yeah. And it's tough because mm-hmm. fortunately, fortunately for me, I had a treatable cancer, something yeah. that could honestly be said as like curable. But you're sitting there with people who like, man, they might have like a month left. Like they're literally fighting for their life. And it's like just the look of it. Oh my God. It makes me sick to even like walk past it now if ever, if I'm ever in there like for checkups or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but chemo, like, man, I will say I thought it was going to be a little bit easier than what it was. Yeah. Because I like, I like to think that I have like, I don't know, high pain tolerance or I can deal with things. I'm like mentally tough enough to like handle this stuff. Exactly. Um, so that chemo, like they take you back and they prep you. They, they get you hooked up on an IV. So at that time, my veins were good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they found a vein in my arm. You know, they... You got to do blood work before you receive chemo to make sure that all your blood levels, everything's good for it. And and then they send you upstairs. And it was like, man, we got, the, my, my chemo started at like 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock that day. But I had to get there at 9 for blood work just mm-hmm. before. So you're like, it's an all-day thing. And, and and this was just mine. So you get in there, they, they, they do your blood work. Whenever they do your blood work, they leave the... Um, they leave the line in, whatever you call that, um, mm. the needle in, because you're going to be receiving chemo, so they don't take it out, so you don't IV. have to get st- IV, so you don't have to get stuck again. Um, but man, it's just a waiting game, and you're just waiting and waiting and waiting. And they call your name, you go back to a room. Um, at I don't know how it is everywhere else, but Vanderbilt was pretty comfortable where they give you pillows, blankets. You're pretty much in like a a long recliner or a bed, depending on what room you get put in, mm. and a recliner for your spouse or whoever's there with you. And they put the IV in. They pump you with some fluids. They pump you with steroids, uh, and then they start the IV. And for me, it was three hours long. It was Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, every four weeks, and it was about you know, three hours long, I believe, the first day, and then like an hour and a half the mm. last two days because the first day I was receiving two different types of chemo. Yeah. And you're sitting there on an IV and you got television and everything else like that. But um, it's uh-huh. weird because, like, not so much whenever it's going through my arm, but whenever I got my uh, port put in, like, you could really, like, you could taste the stuff they were injecting. Really? It was like metallic taste. It mm. tastes like you're, like, sucking on a penny. <laughs> and it, but it, it's like that. And it had a smell. And it's like, you're nothing's going in your mouth. There's no, sm- like, coming out of your nose. But it's like just it getting mm. injected with it. And, mm and you just you you sit there till they inject you and it beep it starts beeping and then they bring another bag they put another bag and they got to go through this whole thing of verifying that you are who you say you are and everything like that yeah they bring you drinks i mean they really take care of you but yeah absolutely it's, you're just sitting there you're just laying sitting laying however you're comfortable mm. and um it was like Man, I was fine, and me and Jesse were cutting up, and I was eating. I remember I was eating like uh, kettle corn or caramel popcorn or something like that, and the whole time, and I was like, "Oh, this is nothing." The ride home, it hit me. Really? And I was like, "Man, I had no energy whatsoever." I sat in the. We got home, and I sat in the car for like twenty minutes, and just like, just staring in space, and I wasn't even like thinking about anything. I was just like waiting, and then finally, I like forced myself to get out of it. Mm-hmm. And the next day was a struggle, and then the next day was even more of a struggle. Mm-hmm. And then that was it for that cycle. 
and the worst day of it all was after that third that third day which was usually a set was a saturday uh, for my cycles and um it's like the lack of motivation that i had or like energy is there's nothing i can compare it to so do you think it was mental or it was both mental and physical it's i think it's both mental and physical yeah um i think it's just like it seems impossible to do anything dude yes i think some like the mental side for me was not quitting chemo yeah the physical side was like oh so it's like Dude, like that never, first day. Yeah, that I've first never, day after chemo, like I, I said online, I pissed the bed. Yeah, oh, I couldn't get up. Dude, there's no shame in that. I couldn't get up. You're, I mean, you're getting poison put in you. You're getting po- absolutely, you're getting poison put in you. But I couldn't get up, and I had no desire to get up. And it's like, yeah, dude, you just sitting there, like, just feel like a, a vegetable, and like, mm-hmm. you, like I would try to turn on the TV, or somebody would turn on the TV for me, but like. I'm not watching anything. Like I, I might be staring at it, but like my like, there's nothing like clicking, nothing going on like in my brain. And, mm-hmm. and dude, that would happen for like a week. Yeah. And then after week two, start getting a little bit wetter, or sorry, wetter, <laughs> better. Well, week hof- three, hopefully not wetter. Not wetter, definitely not wetter. Yeah. Well, the bed maybe. Mm-hmm. But um, <laughs> week three, I start feeling pretty good. Like mm-hmm. I can get up, I can walk. I'm walking around the neighborhood. And then week th- after week three, boom, that's when I hit hit with another cycle. Yeah, go and back. Just, and I'd start right back again. Mm. So what point do you start losing your hair? Second cycle? Second cycle, yeah. Yeah. That's Dude, and that was tough. Like, I've never had good hair. My hair sucks. <laughs> like, Really? That seems fine to me. It's it, it's come back. It was and it, fine And it came back. It was weird. It came back a lot Solid darker. Solid beard, dude. And it came back like. Man, I I can't even explain like how soft it came back. Yeah, it's starting to lose that, but like it, it's it's slowly starting. And that was further down the road because yeah, once I got through chemo, like I didn't lose all my hair, and I specifically like I was not washing my hair because I didn't want it to fall out. But I was like, I don't have I got, like I've had a widow's peak since I was in eighth grade. It's <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, eh, this ain't turning anybody on. Yeah, but. Um, I noticed like in my whenever I was wearing the uh, God, what do you call it? the face mask or the the mask in the cancer clinic mm. when I would take it off like my beard hairs would be like falling off in it. Oh, I was like, no. oh, it's happening. But I would shower and try to hold it and hold it, and I'd wake up and my hair would be all over the pillow and all over. The, and then really? finally one day I just like I just gave in and just. But the thing is, like I didn't go, <laughs> I didn't go strictly bald. I had like a peach fuzz on my whole head. I was like, "This is the like, this is worse than being bald because I don't have a good head shape." But I was like, (laughs) "I got peach fuzz." Dang. Yeah, it came back quick though. It did come back quick, but so how many rounds of chemo did you go through? Four. Four rounds. Four rounds. But I went through like heavy rounds. So on a month cycle, is that so? That's four months of chemo. Uh, about three and a half is what it came out to. Okay. If I was probably a little bit older, I think it would have been drug out a little bit more. But they were like, well, you're young and healthy and your give body can the, recoup. So give them the sauce. <laughs> give them the sauce. Um, but my hair, my hair didn't recoup immediately after chemo because I went straight into radiation. Mm-hmm. And radiation was, 
I think, 24, 27, 21, something like that. Something yeah. in the 20s, like, and that's almost like every single day. You got to drive to Vanderbilt. And, mm-hmm. and um, so when they, when they, when you had surgery on your spine coming out of that, were they like, yeah, good, like success, like that thing's gone. Dude, I so can, now the focus is like your, your head. I can remember coming out of, waking up out of surgery and the doctor coming in and he's like a real animated guy. And he immediately showed me. So I come out of surgery. I have to go. I go out of surgery. I'm out of surgery for like an hour or two. And I go back into an MRI for three hours. These MRIs are three hours long. Mm. And I go into the MRI for three hours. Come back out. I remember being asleep for, I don't know, maybe 30 minutes to an hour. He came in there to show me on his like little computer screen. It's gone. They got it out. And we were all like celebrating and everything else. Mm-hmm. And uh, that itself was like, ah, man, I can't explain that feeling because it's like, wow, you just removed. Like, that's probably the best way to handle or yeah. treat a cancer is just completely remove it. Cut just, it Just out. cut it out. They cut it like like with lasers. Yeah. Like using, it's just like, it makes no sense to me how they're able to do it. But No, nah, dude, they cut yours out with a deer knife. <laughs> Yeah, that's what it's I was just tell a buck knife. I'm like, dude, Rambo walked in there and filleted it out <laughs> and threw it on the floor and said, "He will make it." <laughs> but that's how it went. Yeah, that's pretty much what happened there. So, pretty much three and a half months of um, chemo, chemo, and then it went to radiation. Um, uh, I had a little the, bit of a break. What's the difference in chemo and radiation? What's Chemo's IV. Okay, and radiation is the thing you wore on your head. <laughs> that weird looking... That mask. That Halloween looking thing. It, it, dude, it is a Halloween looking thing if I've ever seen one. So, we got in there and... so It's, it's th- very tough to treat. It, it, you're, you're treating my... They're treating my head, my neck my spine it's like three major groups usually it's one or the other um so we go in and i remember them talking to us about it and uh they're asking if i needed a um gosh not an ativan but type of medicine just kind of chill my nerves Mm -hmm. no i'm okay like i don't i don't need anything it's like okay we're gonna do the masking here in a little bit and i look to the left i mean i see that mask among it's kind of freaking me out a little bit, but not so much. We get back in there, and uh, they, like, lay me down on the bed. and um, I'm talking to the girl. They're asking about my cancer. There's four women back there, and they're asking about my cancer and everything. And I'm, like, cutting up with them, being funny. I said, okay, we're going to put this around your legs. Mm-hmm. It's like a um, it's like a mold, but it almost, like... It almost like traps your legs in it and it's like specifically to your legs and every time you get treatment you're getting this like specific board these boards that are like your legs are laying in like it's it's your legs mm-hmm. it's a perfect mold for your legs so they're doing that and um one of the women like looks at my i'm wearing like under armor sweatpants and and my uh like the ties on them have a metal end to them and she said oh you can't wear those. And I said, what? She's like, your sweatpants. They got a metal end. So when we scan, it's like, like you can't wear those. And I said, you want me to pull them down? She said, we'll pull them down for you. And I said, oh, easy. <laughs> like, hey. I was like, my wife's out there. Watch it. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, be careful, but but slide them down. Yeah. Easily, cause I got loose underwear on. Mm-hmm. I've been wearing it since the eighth grade. Mm-hmm. Um. So they like slide my my pants down, and then they go, okay, now we're gonna put the handcuff, like the cuffs, on you. Hey. They're like handcuffs. They wrap them around your wrist and they pull your arms forward. Mm. And like it's almost like a ratchet strap around your arms, and they pull it forward. Hmm. And I'm like, I'm cutting jokes the whole time. Like, okay. oh, kinky. They're like, this is fun. Yeah. <laughs> like, I should come here when I ain't got nothing else to do. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so I'm like, like, I'm like laying there and I'm like, funny. And they said, okay, we're going to put the mask. Or, or they put the mask, whatever it is. They, they like dip it in like warm water mm-hmm. and then like activates it to like, it's like wet noodles. And then they lay it on my face. And they like mold it around my eyes. They cut some holes, like uh, think around my nose, um, maybe my mouth. And uh, they take it off. And I'm like, that wasn't too bad. And they're like, okay, now we're going to start like the simulation. And that's when it like got real because that mask, like it perfectly molded to my face. Mm-hmm. But they take it, they put it on my face, and they like lock it down. Like, there you cannot move anything and it's like they call it waffle face but it's like so tight on your face like when you come out the holes like the perforated holes that are in that mask like they're like your skin is like sticking out yeah and then and they lock lock it down you cannot wiggle anywhere what? and that's when i was like i don't want to do this so, but i did i did it for 20 I think it, was tw- it ended up being 21 more. Think about it. 21 treatments. Mm-hmm. But every time you go in, they put you in those little leg things. Do you things. feel it when they do it? Feel what? The radiation? Yeah. No, you don't feel a thing. You just... It's a machine that rota- rotates around you, and it's like shooting the the beams or whatever it is, yeah. like towards your, yeah. towards your brain, wherever the tumor is. They did brain, spine, and, and neck. You're but, just in a Chernobyl nuclear plant. Just and, Yeah, and so when they did that, like... I've got like marks, not on my face, but like down my neck, down mm. my chest, down like all the way past my belly button. Mm. And they're like Sharpie marks. And then I've got them on my side. Mm. And um, it's like like pencil thin. And whenever they lay you down, you've got to be on those marks okay. every single time. You, like, you've got to be perfectly lined up. Yeah. And so... That takes a while. There's like some equations that go into it, and they say they got like this Excel file, and they're trying to move me around, whatever. So sometimes, like for the first, I think 16, 15 or 16 treatments, like that, it took an hour for me to receive radiation. Mm. Majority of the time is them getting me perfectly lined up. Yeah. Like from top to bottom, like I've got to be perfect. They only have like yeah. two or three centimeters to work with. Okay. And um, and that just takes forever. But that whole time you're locked under the mask. Mm. And I remember like opening my eyes, like my, my right eye, my right eyelid gets stuck and my I swallow, like I'm like nervous. I swallow my Adam's apple got stuck what? because that's how tight it was. And I'm like freaking out and I can't move anywhere. So like I'm freaking out. I'm like, I'm rather, but then I'm like, Daddy didn't raise no. Yeah. So I was like, you're gonna you're gonna tough it out, but mm-hmm. I eventually got used to it. But yeah, you can only like I could breathe through my nose, and that was it. Like I couldn't open my mouth, couldn't now, do anything. All I could do is breathe through my nose. And that's a that's a good point. Um, 
how much through like this whole process of chemo, radiation, and all these challenges that you went through, like how much do you feel like, um, you know, there's something people are, str- I feel like people are stronger or had the opportunity to be stronger if they played sports or gone through some kind of adversity already in their life, big or small. But I think it's important to know, like, what adversity is. Do you think, like, that helped you? Because, man, that sounds like all that was just, like, tough to get through in general. Dude, it was. Uh... And, and, and you've just been talking about, like, the physical and a little bit of the mental aspect of everything. But you're not even touching basis on like what you're going through at home and right. like with your family and friends. And cause I mean, going through chemo, like how useful are you like at the house? Probably not very useful, not useful at all. Yeah. And like, and as a man, like that's probably hard to like, just be a, you're not a slob, but you're just there. Not, you're just there. You're not you're just doing like, anything. You're almost like a liability. Like you can't. Yeah. And, and no, at that point, I, I mean, I couldn't do. I couldn't do. I already couldn't walk because I my spinal cord had been mm-hmm. like yeah, my spinal cord had lost a little bit of, or had had been pressured so much that I was losing a little bit of ability to walk and mm-hmm. like I, I still couldn't walk and. But at that point, the way chemo, like chemo made me feel like I, I couldn't get out of bed. Yeah. But it, that's crazy for you to bring that up because I always swore like, man, me going through like the Cumberland days or mm-hmm. even with at Oakland with Coach Hawks, like some of those like workouts or runs mm-hmm. or like just talks and some of the things they put us through, like I swear, like I had, like they gave me just enough mental toughness to get through it. Yeah. I think... I think what it is, and I know what you're talking about, I think that those experiences give you just enough edge to just keep going. Right. Um, Because a lot of times when you're young, when you're playing sports, and you're being pushed, and you feel like you can't go any further, well, it's not an option. You have to keep going. Right. Like, it's not – you can't quit. If you quit – then you suck and you're off the team, and that's not an option. Yeah. <laughs> no, know? that's the truth, you know, you, But you know what I mean. Right. And, man, you would be surprised, like, how that translates later in life because you're, like, you know, you get to these nitty-gritty situations at your job or uh, in a personal tragedy like you were going through, and you were like, I don't – I know how to keep going, but I don't know how to quit. Right. And I think that's the lane that you got to be in. If you, if you want to survive, you know, I think right. that's the lane you got to be in. Absolutely. I mean, dude, look, I don't know. We were in the ovens. <laughs> <laughs> if dude. you're listening, you've never experienced 300-degree so, ovens on so, a shutdown at Nissan. <laughs> what? Me and Stevie... Uh, at a car plant. <laughs> say that. Um, Sorry, I already said it. Yeah, no, it's all right. There, there's a bunch of them. 
We had to um, clean some ovens on a Saturday. Maybe even been a Sunday. No, 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 no. It was a Saturday. It was a Saturday. Because production was ran through that Friday. That's right. Because the reason... So every, I'll let you go ahead and continue. So for everybody that's listening, um, when cars are painted in a car plant, they go through the paint system and they're painted, and then immediately after they're painted, they go down the production line, and they go through an oven. And the oven is extremely hot, upwards of, what, four, it, 500 degrees? Yeah, yeah, it's around 400. Yeah, 400 degrees. And that basically bakes and solidifies the paint on that car body. That and they're very long. And they're very, this is a very long process. It's not a short thing. It's a. Like it's probably, it's honestly probably 300 foot long. Whenever you, if you straighten it out, because you remember it's it's got all the turns inside of it. No, it goes through multiple turns. I mean, I was going to say it was like 200 yards. <laughs> it probably I mean, is. With the turns? No, it probably is. I mean, all right, maybe 150 yards, but it's long. I'd probably say easily. Yeah. And um, me and Stevie used to be at the bottom of the pile for employees at this car plant. And um, so they called us in to clean these ovens because what was happening is debris was getting splattered on the uh, car bodies during the oven. So they shut the uh, ovens off at night after the last shift, which would have been midnight or Yep. It it would have been midnight or midnight uh, on Friday. No, night. probably at that time, probably um, just a couple hours before we would have started up in preparation for shutdown. But yeah, it, it it couldn't have been any sooner than and we had to three go in, or four in the morning. Yeah, and we had to go into these ovens and completely clean them, which consisted of multiple tasks: uh, cleaning filters. Laying new aluminum foil on the floor, which we got blessed with, and cleaning the tracks. Let off. me pause right there. We got blessed with because we were the only ones willing to go in and lay it okay. down uh, because we wanted the job to get done so we could get the heck out of there. But it was insanely hot in these ovens. I mean, dude, do you think it was too? I mean, imagine going in the sauna. At your local gym, and when you sit in there for a while and you get so hot that you have to get out of it and go get in the pool, that's how hot we were for nine hours. Take that with burns on your skin. <laughs> so we we literally were on our hands and knees for like nine hours, putting aluminum foil with duct tape on the floor, burning our skin. No, not duct tape, aluminum foil tape. Foil Alum- tape. Uh, full tape. Because duct-, duct tape would burn up. Yeah, duct taping aluminum foil on the floor um, all day long. And I, I, and a, a couple of people got fired. Uh, one of the supervisors at one point walked in and he goes, ah, it's like two days in Texas. <laughs> and right then I knew we were screwed. And uh, man, we went all we went all afternoon in there, just powering through. Um, I mean, literally every once in a while, coming out to drink water to get fresh air just to survive. 
And when we made it through to the end of that day and got done, I, I was like, all right, Stevie's a dog. I was <laughs> like, he's, he's, he's just like me. He'll keep pushing. And like, I was like, all right, Stevie has earned my like right of passage of who I have respect for. Like for the rest of my life, I will never say <laughs> a negative word about Stevie's work ethic his toughness or anything, because I was like, dude, that was hard, and we did it, and we made it through. I mean, dude, it was literally like like running like a marathon or something. Like it was like doing something that's like not okay together. <laughs> History shows that if if it weren't for me and you, they'd still be cleaning that oven to this day. Yeah. So I knew right then. And no, there, but that speaks a lot for yourself as well of well, the level of commitment that. We're willing to no, because we endured that. We did that oh on behalf of everybody else on the crew because we were the only people that were that going would in. Do it. Like, and look, we got to get this done. But I, but the point I'm trying to get to is doing that. I knew that, like, I've played sports. He's played sports. Like, we can, we're, like, we're going to be able to do this, and like, we're going to do it. <laughs> and we did it. And I was like, wow, that was extremely hard, but. And why did we do that? I don't know, man. I don't know. I was making ass money, but you know, no, we bo- we both were. But that was that was when you guys were living on uh, Grantland. Yeah, and you're like, you come over and get a beer. Let's yeah, just, let's just decompress. Yeah, but um, when, but anyways, while what I was the point I was trying to make is when we were going through that. Uh, you know, you earn a certain amount of respect for each other doing something that's difficult. And then when I heard that you were having your troubles with cancer and stuff like that, I immediately was like, oh, he's got it. Like, he'll be okay. I was like, he'll, he'll be able to handle it. And it sounds like it was, sounds like it was almost impossible. And, uh, it was extremely mentally taxing, physically taxing, uh, both, it was. both on the chemo part and both on the radiation part. I'm sure it was tough on relationships. It I was, mean, and it was it was tough for uh, my better half as well because she. Yeah, absolutely, man. She, she uh, altered her work schedule to make she she never missed an appointment, mm-hmm. and that still to this day is one of the most unbelievable things to me that yeah. that she she altered her work schedule, and. Um, she mm-hmm. didn't miss one appointment. Yeah, and, and when it when it started to get tough, like that's whenever, I mean that's whenever like like, like Kaylin was driving me to appointments, and I hadn't seen Kaylin. Mm-hmm. It seemed like years, but yeah, it, it seemed at that time also like we had never skipped a beat. But yeah, people were driving me, but Jesse would still come down and go to appointments, and it really times well, like that really just people just. Just show up. And well, well, you said earlier, you know, in tough times, uh, people seem to show up like the people that you know are really are really there, really matter. They they tend to show up. So, man, that's a that's amazing I, for everybody listening. Steve, you're cancer free. Cancer free. Cancer free, homie. We're two years out. So next, next MRI is January, middle of January. You ever get nervous for them, or just I get I get extremely nervous. Yeah, and um, it's mainly like, man, I've always been so healthy, 
Mm-hmm. Like I've just, I've always been a healthy person. Everything came back. So yeah, it, it, it shook me up so much that it has, it, there's still a lot of things that I deal with mentally. Like it just scares me. Yeah. And, and I think that's, they now, call it like scan, scan anxiety or something like that. Like every well, time one's coming up, but yeah, that, it that, worries me, man. Cause like, I, I want to start a family. I want to be there for my wife. Yeah. Yeah. Very scared of death for some reason, but well, I mean, <laughs> I think you definitely have a past to uh, have your reservations about that. I'm just bobbing and weaving. Well, I mean, dude, you're doing a good job of bobbing <laughs> and weaving so far, but that it, that is one of the things that like I'm uh, not not just me, man, but like you know, in in America, you know, obviously cancer is a big thing. Yeah. Kids have cancer. Old people have cancer. Middle age, everybody has cancer, and uh, the physical aspect of it seems very difficult. But I think for you, um, you're a tough guy, and you know so many people are tough. But I think I think ultimately, what really like grinds your gears down is probably the mental aspect of it. If I had to guess, yeah. Because, you know, the physical pain only lasts so long. But mentally, that's something you have to carry for the rest of your life, knowing that you had cancer. You know, you don't know if it's going to come back. You don't You don't really know what's going on. You're Man, always carrying that with you. I'll tell you what played a big part in it was kind of almost relying on somebody else, mm. especially in that time. Um Jesse and, and and just um I, I can't think of the word that I'm looking for, but like I can't say that if it were weren't for her that I wouldn't make it, but mm. it would have been a lot bigger of a struggle if I didn't have somebody that I could rely on that was like she was waking me up. Like she was setting alarms and having my medicine set up and uh yeah. I mean, there, the guy. The list can go on and on and on and on, but mm-hmm. like, there's so many things that, like, I, I, I truly don't know, like, if I was mentally tough enough to handle it, if it weren't for somebody else, like, to give me a little bit of assistance. Yeah, and and that was clutch with her because, and she was really good at it. I mean, mm-hmm. she had my medicines. Like, it was like every two or three hours, I was like waking up, and it was like two in the morning, and then four in the morning, and it was yeah. six in the morning, and. And I, I mean, I was sleeping all day, especially when I was going through chemo. But it was like, I, I truly, I truly don't believe that I've been so committed to like, like there was so much medicine that I was taking, mm. and it was such a strict schedule of like, you got to take this every three hours, and like this every three hours, this every two and a half hours, or whatever. And, mm. and she had it in like little, um, like. I'm going to call them jello shot containers because I don't know yeah. a better term for them. Yeah. But she had them set up in these, like, these little containers, and it was like – and she had it labeled with like 7.15, 7.30, or 8 o'clock. Mm-hmm. That, that that played a, a really big role with just who I had by my side. And yeah, because you can't do that by yourself. Man, I couldn't. No, I, I really couldn't have because I was like – I was so checked out and mm-hmm. – and, and, like I couldn't sleep, and 
I mean, I would go three or four days with not getting like one hour of sleep. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. Like my brain just can't function. Like there's no way that I could have done that without, without her and, or, yeah. and especially somebody like setting this stuff up. But man, well, she's a, she's an awesome woman. And, um, you know, unfortunately, they're having the time of their lives right now at the CMA <laughs> Awards in a special suit with free drinks and free food. And free everything. Well, we got Parking. Left, we got left here with the bag doing a podcast. So, for everybody listening, my wife won free tickets to the uh, CMA Awards tonight. And, How did she uh, win those? Uh, 10- 106.7, y'all, boy. You're lying. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I'm, nah, I'm always on 106.7. Oh, it's a great I state. stay on 106.7. Dude, it's a great station. 106.7, y'all. Highly recommended, everybody. Kalen won CMA Awards. Dude, they're like in a suite. Like, free drinks, free food, all that. Dude, she had to go get her tickets notarized today. <laughs> That's how serious her tickets are. She had to get them notarized because, like, they have to be, like, they have to agree to be, like, filmed and like, have their picture taken. Because, like, there's apparently going to be, like, famous people, like, <laughs> in the mix with them. That just cracks me up. Yes. Yeah. So, Kayla, because, Just because. Kayla and Jesse Kayla maybe, but I don't see, I don't see Jesse. I don't see them as a peer being, like, oh, dude, jamming I, out. I don't know. They're probably hanging out with freaking Morgan Wallen and Jelly Roll right now. <laughs> And we're in the freaking barn doing a podcast, so it's all right. I wouldn't have it any other way. I wouldn't either, man. And 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 uh, our time is coming. Oh yeah, we're gonna. The boys are gonna are gonna go out and rage soon. But she was like, she she hit me up and she was like, um, she was like, are you gonna? She was like, I won tickets. She was super excited. She called me on the way. I was I was going to Lowe's this morning at work. And she was like, I won the tickets to the CMA Awards. I won two tickets to a suite, free drinks, free food, blah, 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 free parking. And I was like, I was like, oh, it's cool. But I was like, me and Stevie are doing a podcast tonight. She was like, oh, I know. And she was like, do you want to cancel it or just like not go? And I was like, I was like, Jesse's coming over, right? And she was like, yeah. I was like. I was like, I think you and Jesse just need to go. I was like, me and Steve, you're going to do podcasts. She was like, no. I was like, no. I said, no. I've been complaining. I'm glad the, you're bringing this up. I was like, I've been <laughs> complaining for the last, like, two months about how people have been canceling on me for podcasts. And I said, and I cannot sit here and cancel on someone for a podcast. I said, so, I said, the podcast goes on. Y'all have fun at the the CMA Awards. Now, so. nobody would have ever known, but your last podcast, you mentioned next Wednesday <laughs> that I was coming on board. Yeah. If you didn't say next Wednesday, nobody would have ever known. But since you're bringing that up, I hope, <laughs> I can only hope that I wasn't one of those that you were saying were like canceling out. No, Because no, no. I didn't think that I did. No. And I told Jesse, I was like, I hope that like, he's not talking about me. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. I did say... I'm very free in September, and that was the busiest no, no, month no, I've no, ever. No, no, no. <laughs> that was the busiest month I've ever had in my life. No, you were, you were, you were good. You're good. You, you were, you can't, you came here when you said you were going to be here. So, it's a, it's a, it's other people. It's all good, man. I know people are busy, and that's it's a, tough, man. It is tough, and and uh, I don't knock on anybody, man. Everybody, dude. 
people in today's time are so busy. Do you not agree? No, I agree 100%. People, people, like, everybody is just busy, man. And, um, I, man, I like to be busy, to be honest, because... I do, too. I don't like to... I am... Ext- and I hate admitting this. I'm extremely guilty of, like, if I don't have anything going on, I'm just at the house. Mm-hmm. And I don't have anything that I need to do. Like, man, I will get down a rabbit hole of, like, Facebook videos or... YouTube videos or YouTube music. Yeah. Like something like that or like listening to artists and Yeah. Like I get down that rabbit hole and like I've just burned time and I'm like looking back it's always looking back like Man, I, this is this is what I miss. I I know everybody's busy, but I feel like we've lost the concept of like visitation and like if I don't have anything to do I like texting a homie and being like, hey, dude, what are you doing tonight? Nothing. Cool. You want to come over and watch the UFC fight? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, dude, let's chill. And, yeah. like, that's not really doing anything, but you still get to hang out with, like, a homie right. and, like, watch a fight or a game or something. I miss that. But you give you know that example brought back, like, 100 memories in – yeah. Like that times, man. Yeah. Especially when I was like a uh, Ronda Rousey fan. Oh, dude. Who <laughs> was Conor, a Ronda Rousey and fan? And Conor McGregor. Boy. I was a Ronda Rousey fan all day. I'm still a, I'm still a freaking Conor McGregor Dude, I can fan. remember that. Like, I remember just like, just raving. Like, whenever you guys were on Grantland. The, oh, dude. You used and, to come uh, over and watch the Brock Lesnar fights. The Brock Lesnar fights. <laughs> or even, t- was it even Tide? Or what was that? Uh, Grantland. No, yeah. well, no. What was the other one? Eventide. 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 Grantland. Back in the day, it's the first two houses me and my wife lived at, and yeah, we used to order the old school fights, dude. And it would be so much fun. And it would. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, just it would. having nothing else to do, hanging out. But so. any, anyways, man, we've uh, we've been going for two and a half hours. Really? Yeah. Dude, Doesn't sh- feel like it, but I gotta ask. The studio's a time no. warp. I know. I hope I get invited back. Because mm-hmm. I can talk for days on anything, but I want to know. Yeah. The people want to know. What are... I don't want you to, to, to not include me in this, because I want to give a little bit of a uh, discussion on it. Mm. What are the hitters for the day? All right, everybody. Thank you all for listening to the Hitters Only Podcast. Like always, uh, hit me up on Facebook at Hitters Only Podcast. Hit me up on Instagram at Hitters Only Podcast. Send me a message if you want to be on the podcast. And uh, if you want any of my merch, scroll down on the episode and click the, the merch links and you can get yourself a hoodie or a koozie or whatever you want, man. Just check that stuff out. And uh, if you would like to be a sponsor, um, please hit me up. I, I do do ads for people. I do do. I, I do ads for people. Um, I'm not doing any free ads anymore. So, But hey, I'm still cheap. So hit your boy up if you want me to throw an ad on here for you. 
for multiple episodes, maybe just one episode or whatever you want to do. But your boy ain't working for free no more. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Hitters only.